0: a rule of thirds, an offshoot of our Screen Refresh podcast. Our goal every episode is to take a little break from watching and analyzing movies to dive headfirst into some nostalgia or just get a little creative. So every month we select a different topic and create a top three list that may or may not be near and dear to each of our hearts. Shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Screen Refresh, or send an email to screenrefresh at gmail.com to let us know what your top three are or to suggest future topics. I'm your host, Tim, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick, in keeping with today's theme, we have a random encounter on the world map. It's Cam from Into the Video Game Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Here I am. <laughs> Hello there. How's it going? Doing great, man. So, Cam, for those that don't know you, where what are your, what's your origin story here? <laughs> oh, my origin story. Okay, so uh, I run the Into the
1: Video Game Podcast. I'm one of the hosts on there, as well as the producer. Uh, we've been running nonstop, haven't missed an episode since we started in 2017. Uh, in terms of this episode and where I'm coming from, I've been playing RPGs since I was four years old. It was actually my first genre, my first foray into gaming and with JRPGs in particular. So ever since then, it's been my favorite and I've pretty much played whatever I could. I'd say I've probably completed it somewhere in the order of 70 to 100 different RPGs uh, over my lifetime. So I definitely am excited to kind of be here and give my list and talk about what I think makes an important, a really, really juicy JRPG. <laughs> <laughs> And now,
0: is the, the first one you played on this list at all? Oh, uh, it's not, actually. Do you remember what it was? Oh, absolutely. It was Pokemon. <laughs> oh, it's. <laughs> I, I feel like that's one of those things that people might always overlook um, initially as far as like, it, it's an RPG, oh, it's yeah. turn-based, it's, you know, like Final Fantasy and Pokemon.
1: Mm, yeah, no, there's many, There's many like, older Uh, rpgs and things like that you don't think of especially like monster catching games where it's like yeah at the end of the day you're catching the monsters leveling them up they're learning abilities you're using them in turn-based battles it's kind of what it is so it's not on my list not because i don't love it because obviously i do love it very very much i just think the three i chose are more modern for me and i think they better reflect kind of my interests as a more mature form of uh, somebody who enjoys video games i guess i would say rather than me at four years old
0: Until, uh, what was it, Arceus Legends or the Pokemon Legends game comes out?
1: Absolutely, until that comes out. Game Freak needs some help on that one, but we're waiting in the wings for it. Then I'll be a a
0: four-year-old frothing at the mouth again. Yeah, pretty much. Listen, I won't (laughs) deny it either. I'm brainwashed. (laughs) I just want like a Dark Souls style, give me like a dodge roll. (laughs) Jesus Christ, it's a Pokemon game. (laughs) Yeah, you say that, but there's a dodge roll in Legends
1: Arceus from what we've seen from clips so far. We don't know why or how, but it's there what are the kids
2: like nowadays well they really like those hard dark soul type <laughs> games do you do yes. You go in
0: and it's like ash has a health bar and you're like wait why yeah <laughs> what's going on i want a guard chomp
1: yeah give yeah i want like, one of Pokemon on to cry. break
0: from the battle and start assaulting me as the trainer and i have to get out of there like whoa man yeah you know, i was gonna say like how great would that be and then you die and it just it shows your backpack there with your pokeballs and you have to go collect it <laughs> yeah you died screen shows up <laughs> it
3: is useless to challenge me it's not gonna
0: So yeah, for anybody unaware, you might have gathered, so we're here today to talk about RPGs, role-playing games. So all sorts of things out there. I know you might have heard phrases like the JRPGs, KRPGs, uh, WRPGs, kind of the Western style, more action-based things. Um, The JRPGs, the Japanese style, more kind of turn-based things, all sorts of stuff out there, all ultimately coming down to you have a character with a role in the game that Usually, this is kind of tied into things like experience, gaining levels, gaining new things, getting skills, all of that, and just kind of being able to grow throughout the the entire game. So it's kind of a wide net we're casting here today. I know some of us, uh, I myself, will be focusing in on kind of a a specific type here, um, but we're going to be kind of covering a bit of everything, and then rest assured, as time goes on in future episodes, we'll probably be coming back to this well a bit, just because it is a kind of uh, a large thing to kind of shoot through from the beginning of time until now. It's the same as if we just said, "We're for the past 40 years, we're going to do top three shooters. Well, there's probably uh, four dozen different things that are going to make the list. So covering a, a little bit, just to give somebody a little bit of background here, um, Gam, I know you as a an RPG lover and game historian there. Uh, do you have anything that our dear audience should know in terms of role-playing games? Yeah, totally. So role-playing games as a genre actually was,
1: if we talk about kind of the invention and the origin of it, it really starts, I think, and a lot of people agree uh, with D&D, with Dungeons & Dragons in the West. Uh, so a lot of people think, you know, the games like Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest popularized the JRPG and the RPG in general, even in the West sometimes when compared to things like Ultima that did come earlier. Uh, but in many cases, what actually happened was JRPGs were copying the original ideas that the West was having with Dungeons & Dragons. The whole idea of these stat systems and level up and freedom and encounters and stuff like that. So it was kind of a process of JRPGs and the Japanese seeing what was going on in the West, especially with some of those early PC games, as mentioned, and then kind of putting their own spin on it, putting their own formula on it and their culture also uh, bringing a a breath of fresh air to it, which then was aped across the entire world because that that whole concept that they kind of (laughs) ran with blew up and was uh the best thing ever so and then it develops and you know there are phases obviously of it going back and forth between who has kind of the i call it control of the rpg market like who's having the real innovations the real success i know obviously the times you know we're talking late aughts early tens when uh, things like skyrim started coming out and things like oblivion were coming out earlier than that where it was like yeah no the west is actually having a real run of it right now but then you move into like now with 2017 2015 onwards you have things like breath of the Wild, which Uh, Some people don't consider it an RPG, but it does have some stat subsystems and more so the RPG open world games, where I actually think that the Japanese came back and had a really big success in revitalizing those. Uh, Beyond that, yeah, there's many different types of genres. You have strategy RPGs, also called uh, tile-based RPGs sometimes. Those are things like Fire Emblem, where you're moving individual units or groups of movements uh, across a map and having them battle other units, basically. Then you have your turn-based JRPGs, action RPGs. There's a whole ton of things. The, the really underlier, I guess I would say, is what classifies an RPG, to me at least, is it has to include a sort of robust stat system and some sort of level up and customization.
0: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I know Dean, who, for those of you who are usually used to him, is not here today joining us, but we've all made the joke of role-playing game can be anything. If you have a character character, that's playing a role. It's yeah. a role-playing game. So yeah. Halo, role-playing game. Uh, Mario, role-playing game. You're playing a plumber. So I just like to think if there's a bar with number that goes up, it's a role-playing game. So we'll see how some of this shakes out from here. I know a lot of this might be of one genre necessarily, or kind of one subgenre, but there's been things over time that have been added in. So it might be a turn-based, but it might be kind of a, a little bit added to it or there could be some kind of changes to it like I know we were talking uh in the the pre-show about um I mentioned Trials of Mana that even though it's you have the same kind of system it's you're running in you're attacking with kind of more action oriented or something like Dragon Quest the newer one where you're still going in you're still having kind of that turn-based bar but you're still have a little more independence over what you're doing in between those turns and being able to move around so it's fun seeing everybody build on this kind of core thing and then trading it back and forth from the west to the east to the west to the east and seeing who kind of tweaks it and adds on over time. So it'll be very interesting. Oh, yeah. So I think the the major thing here is number three, who would like to kick this thing off? Ooh, number three. You know, why don't I uh, why don't I kick it off? I'll go right for the
1: deep cut. I'll go right for the deep cut. How about that? <laughs> All right, so my number three on this list. Now, all of mine are JRPGs, not all turn-based. Uh, this one's actually going to be the non-turn-based one on this list, and that is a Xenoblade Chronicles X. Earth is gone,
0: but one ship managed to escape. Crash-landing, mankind is forced to colonize the alien planet Mira, with its vast continents to explore and hostile life forms at every turn. So climb into a skull and fight to survive humanity's new home. Xenoblade Chronicles X, only on Wii U, rated T14. I have always I tried to get into the Xenoblade series, but uh, only because it popped up on Switch, the what was it, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Mm-hmm. And I never got into the the previous ones just because it wasn't available at the time. But it's one of the the ones that I always hear on like everybody's lips in terms of role-playing games. So for those of you that are unfamiliar, give us a little background. Yes, please. Yeah, so this is the this is the one where everybody
1: wants it to be ported. It's the one remaining Wii U game that hasn't been ported that people still care about onto the Switch. <laughs> and it's going to be very difficult to do because it did integrate the gamepad. Uh, but the Xenoblade Chronicles X is... Not a, well, it's, I don't want to spoil anything, uh, but it's related to Xenoblade Chronicles, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which as a series are related to Gears and Xenosaga, which came out on the PS1 and PS2, uh, well, respectively, yeah. So, basically, Xenoblade Chronicles X, and the reason why I have it on my list is it's particularly important for me, and this is kind of where we talk about these are the games that are important to us versus the most objective, but I think it holds a very important uh, hint, I guess, at where the industry was going at the time. Uh, So Xenoblade Chronicles X came out in 2015, if I remember correctly. It was either late 2014, early 2015. Uh, So we're talking predating Breath of the Wild in particular, which is an interesting point here, by about two years. But it was also right at the end of a craze that was going on in the West, which was the craze of open world games, which still is going on in many cases. uh, But it was when, you know, Skyrim kind of kicked off. This whole push of everybody has to make everything open world, right? And sometimes they put in limited RPG systems. Sometimes they put in light RPG systems. And the reason I have Xenoblade in here is because I always argue that Xenoblade is basically Japan showing the West how it's done after they've started to get stale with open world games. So after, you know, after Skyrim started tapering off, and I remember in particular one game, which Josh and I always talk about, which was Mad Max. When the Mad Max game came out, I think that was 2014, 2015. We looked at each other and we're like, "Okay, open world games are dead. Like, we're done. We're tired of them. There's nothing else (laughs) I want to do here. They're all overplayed. There's nothing going on in these barren worlds. And what Xenoblade Chronicles X did as an RPG was it came in and it created probably one of the most robust and enticing environments in an open world game to ever exist. It uh, littered the world with a bunch of valuable things that were actually worth it to go and seek out, a bunch of valuable resources, a bunch of unique bosses, unique enemies that you can encounter on the overworld, not in a turn-based system, but in an action RPG system. And there, it was the type of thing where it evoked feelings similar. And the reason I make the comparison uh, to Breath of the Wild all the time is because I feel like almost Breath of the Wild, it didn't like steal anything from it or anything like that, but the same sort of game where both have this mysterious appeal of, I want to see what's over that next ridge. I want to see what's over that next mountain. And then you see something crazy, you follow it, you want to know what happens, and it kind of spitballs from there. Uh, So they designed this world in Xenoblade Chronicles X of, I believe, five regions. And they all have different soundtrack, which are amazing, by the way. The audio is not mixed well. Sometimes the soundtracks, (laughs) with vocals in particular, will, like, layer over a cutscene and drown out the characters talking. And it's hilarious. So... You know, technical department, it's not the best, but where it does succeed is it has just this incredibly rich open world, an amazing soundtrack, and uh, the RPG system is one of those ones that's incredibly deep. Uh, One of my favorite things in JRPGs and RPGs in general is when I can break the game. I think that's generally a success when there's customization to the point that you can create combinations that kind of ruin the game design, and not in a bad way. I more mean in a way where it's like they meant for it to happen, and if you can figure it out, you can really pull off some wacky stuff. And that was one of those games where there were so many systems, so many stats, so many subsystems uh, that mattered, that you could create combinations to make yourself absolutely broken. Uh, Beyond that, the story was incredibly interesting. It ends on a really neat cliffhanger that we're still waiting on. Uh, The characters were very fun. And so overall, I, I love this game for what it represented for the genre at the time, a kind of revitalization of open world games, while also being an incredibly deep RPG with the great soundtrack, which is what I care about so much. All of these games that I have. On this list of amazing soundtracks that's a big big one for me so that's kind of the general gist of the game
0: which i feel like at least if i think of all the soundtracks in the games that i've enjoyed over the years it's usually always the rpgs and i don't know if it's just they put more into the soundtrack just because it's setting the aesthetic of kind of the overarching story or if it's a case of they know you're going to be listening to this overworld music for a long time because this isn't a shooter that you're going to be playing for six hours. This is something you'll probably be putting in at least 40, so you don't want to get tired of it at that point. But I feel like the this, the soundtracks are always fun. I know in our first episode we were doing Rule of Thirds, I was talking on about the Chrono Trigger soundtrack um, and how much to this day, like, I, I'll still sit and I'll just listen to that one while I'm working on stuff, just because it, it kind of, it's part nostalgia, but also it's just it's just a good soundtrack.
2: Music's a big part of the whole character, too. Because even though you're not actually playing it and leveling it up, it is something that's going to carry with you through the entire gaming experience. And I know a lot of games I play nowadays, I mute it because they don't really put that much effort into the soundtrack. And after the 15th loop in one session of the same music, like playing World of Warcraft, I can't tell you how sick I am of the Borales theme. Because (laughs) being that is the central point of where you are on a daily basis, I am absolutely sick and tired of that song. I just, I can't handle it anymore. And so many other games do something similar where like, like you said, the battle music. Unless it's iconic enough that you love listening to it every single time, you're going to hear this for the next like 50 hours. And when it comes to sound design and music, it's a very underappreciated thing in the development of these games because you have to listen to this for so much
1: that if you don't like listening to it, <laughs> that's ha- that's literally half your game. <laughs> so, I've been listening, actually, to a couple previous episodes of Rule of Thirds, speaking of battle music. So, I know that you cut in music sometimes, and I think it'd be very fun for every viewer if you cut in the Xenoblade Chronicles X battle music right now. Uh, because, oh my god, it is uh, not... It's an acquired taste,
0: we'll say.
1: The battle music in particular. It's an acquired taste. Uh, It was actually, I think this is either notably good or notably different. I love it. it (laughs) I love it, but God, is it silly. It's definitely silly. And it's actually, if I remember correctly, I think it's Yuki Sawano is the one who does the soundtrack. I believe it's Sawano. I'm not too sure of the uh, the first name. And I believe he was also the soundtrack or designed the soundtrack of like Attack on Titan. And I think some, uh, I oh. think Ald Noah Zero as well. And a few other like very famous anime were known to have really great soundtracks. It was the same type of music. I used to actually play a game uh, where I'd put a song on shuffle and I'd be like, is this from Attack on Titan, Ald Noah Zero or Xenoblade Chronicles X? Try and find out. <laughs> because you can't you can't tell the difference half the time, sure time.
0: But yeah, so as far as the, I mean, as far as music goes, I think that the first two things that always come to mind is the Pokemon battle music or uh, the victory song from the After Every Battle in Final Fantasy VII. Um, But it's just, it's those things that kind of stick with you over the years, and I don't know if it's just because we heard these things younger in life, so they've had longer, or kind of a longer time to cling to us during kind of those developmental years, or if it's a case of these are just truly iconic pieces or just really well-made soundtracks that just regardless of when you would have played this for the first time, like they're still going to stick around.
1: Yeah, I always like strive for when it comes to soundtracks in particular, I think uniqueness is really important. I've been known to have a very big bias towards vocal tracks in games uh, because my big litmus test for if I think a soundtrack is amazing is if I notice it. So if I'm playing through a game and all I'm hearing and not really recognizing is some sort of orchestral backing track that doesn't sound any different from the other 20 RPGs I've just played, then I'm not going to notice it. I don't even think about it. I couldn't even distinct one song from the other. But once something draws my attention, whether it's for good reasons or bad reasons, I'll take a look at it and I'll notice it. And many times a unique aspect to it can really grab me. Uh, that goes to onto uh, later games that we talk about here uh, one game is almost entirely orchestral but another one does have vocal tracks and anytime i hear vocal tracks in the battle theme i get giddy my heart my heart likes that one we get the adrenaline up like yeah let's go oh what, like breaking benjamin in halo 2 <laughs> yeah exactly exactly like that that's amazing that part of the game <laughs>
0: So, yeah, actually, I think my number one, uh, when I bought it, it just came with the, it was a, like a two disc and it came with the soundtrack CD. I feel like there was a stint where that wasn't even like a collector's edition thing. It was just certain games you buy that just come with the soundtrack as its own CD. Um, so there's probably soundtracks I've listened to more than I ever should have just because it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it came with a disc. So yeah, seriously, Sam and I actually, uh, my buddy
1: Sam, who was on this uh, podcast not too long ago, uh, we got a disc. It was a CD for a Persona 4 dancing all night. And we would play that in his car for like a good year and a half whenever
0: we were hanging out to go somewhere. <laughs> so as far as um, Xenoblade there, so in terms of the, the combat, you said it's um, action oriented. Now, do you still have a, a party in that and you control your main character or is it strictly just your main character? Yeah, so you have a three-person party in the game, and it's, I guess, what I would call
1: UI spam. Uh, One of the big criticisms of the Xenoblade Chronicles series as a whole is you get a lot of silly UI things going on where there's like a hundred things happening on screen at the same time just because of how... Uh, deep the system is and it wants to show you all that information so it's really off-putting to a lot of people uh but if you can kind of look past it as i do it it just showcases the depth i guess i would say so yeah you i would guess i would akin it almost to like mmo like combat because you approach creatures on the overworld or you approach enemies on the overworld and you don't go into a turn-based fight but you also like can't dodge things necessarily like you'll be hitting your action commands think almost like a knights of the old republic type combat OK, where you're approaching each other, selecting action commands, but it's happening in real time and things are still going on while you're selecting commands and things like that. Uh, the other okay. part of that, too, is that halfway through the game, you actually get access to mech suits and they give all your characters giant mech suits that can fly anywhere. So then the overworld becomes even more that much easier to explore and obviously they're designed around having this multi-layered vertical world. Uh, so not only does it revamp the battle system entirely halfway through the game, also the exploration. So that was that was a big thing about that as well.
0: And now for anybody that can't uh, get access to it cuz you said this one hasn't been ported from Wii U, uh do you feel there's a a good starting point into the series that's still available? I think the only one that comes to mind is Chronicles 2 that I mentioned that's on Switch, but I don't know what other ones they might have. uh yeah, there's a few options. So you can
1: go for Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Uh that's the original Xenoblade Chronicles game. That's out on Switch as well. Uh 2 is also fine. You can actually play 2 without playing Xenoblade Chronicles 1. Uh, every single game is self-contained. They just might have some things at the very end that are like callbacks or like references, but you can play them alone. It's not like a traditional sequel. You know what I mean? Uh, other than that, too. Also, uh, just, you know, I put it out there. Not not uh, recommending anything, but I know that uh, the game might be emulatable. So there's that as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we are very pro emulator here. Uh, seeing as our our SNES days of trying to find Super Famicom games uh, for what was it, Gundam Battle Assault and all of that? Yep, yep. Um, so yeah, I think I might, I think I, back when Chronicles 2 came out, I bought it, and then I think I ended up trading it in a little while after because it was like, it didn't scratch the itch at the time, but now seeing as I've converted almost entirely to digital, it's more so so once I purchase it, I can't trade it in. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you, you own it now, you gotta play it. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing else it. you can do with this. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's something that I need to give another shot to. Especially, do you know if the the definitive ends up including in the the mech suits? Because I mean that checks my boxes. So the definitive edition, the definitive edition is for Xenoblade
1: Chronicles, not X. There are three separate games. Okay. I, sorry, I might have been uh, confusing about that. There's Xenoblade Chronicles one. There's Xenoblade Chronicles X and then there's Xenoblade Chronicles 2 in release order. So X is hasn't left the Wii U, but the original Xenoblade Chronicles has a Switch port. So that's probably the best way to enter the series or with two. If you just don't want to deal with setting up the Simu emulator and you just want to hit one of them, I would say go for one or two. They're both great games. Uh, I enjoyed both of them. It's just not it doesn't have that special place that X does for me because I th- felt that just X was important for the industry at the time. It felt to me like when X came out really that year, and this was pre-podcast days for me, but I was telling all my friends, I was like, this is Japan showing the West how it's done with open world games. They need to learn. And they're going <laughs> to... Japan in the to we needed. Yeah, absolutely. Japan's about to teach them a lesson.
0: And back then, we used the school of the undefeated of the East's ultimate secret technique. Xenoblade Chronicles X. So yeah, I, th- I think I'll uh, give it a, a first playthrough for the Xenoblade series. But that was Xenoblade Chronicles X.
2: Nick, you're number three. So my rocket-propelled grenade is this was actually a really... um, I had to think this through because I changed it during this because in terms of story, this is not the game. But in terms of gameplay mechanics, I feel the sequel was better than the original, and I'm actually going to go with Pokemon Gold and Silver.
3: You've conquered Red. You've mastered blue. You've triumphed over yellow. You've caught them all. And now, you're ready for the next step. Welcome to the world of Pokemon Gold and Silver. Tons of new Pokemon.
0: New adventures and worlds to explore. New badges to collect. So you've got to ask yourself, have you got what it takes? Pokemon Gold and Silver ready for everyone. Gotta catch them all.
2: So the problem I had with the original one is that in hindsight, red and blue is incredibly broken. Yeah. There's a lot of things that don't actually work as intended. So like you get your Scyther. He has super high attack damage and you can't wait to crit with your slash. So what do you do first? Swords Dance. Uh, was that it? No. Uh, what's the name? Uh, of focus,
1: focus Energy is what you're thinking of. Focus,
2: yes. Yep. Focus Energy. That attack is supposed to, like, substantially increase your crit ratio for your next attack. Red and blue, it doesn't work. It actually does the complete opposite, and it halves your critical strike chance instead of doubling it. It's actually broken in the code. Not to mention there's a couple of other tweaks in that, and, like, Twitch plays Pokemon is a huge, perfect example of how a Venomoth was able to defeat a Dragonite without actually being able to have any, like... For a matchup, it's a no-brainer. The Dragonite would have won, but because of the AI and how it functions, the Venomoth won, and it was able to abuse that kind of AI. They fixed a lot of that in the sequel, and that's why I'm going to go with that one. Plus, with the enhanced breeding, and um, not to, like in the updated move sets, I just feel like this one was definitely my better foray into this RPG realm than the original one, even though the original one's still like I love everything more about it except for the engine.
1: Yeah, I uh, I know in particular I was actually looking at my list and I had to decide, OK, I have my shortlist. What Pokemon game am I going to put on my shortlist? And I was thinking because I've played you know every game, every version, and I also actually chose Crystal. So I chose a Gen 2 game yeah. as well as a showcase of Pokemon uh, for similar reasons. I agree. I, th- I think it's just an advancement of the system. The day night cycle is amazing. Uh, plus, especially yeah. if we're talking our personal favorites and we're talking about various types of nostalgia and things like that, there's nothing as comfy as being in your sheets playing by the light of a like lamp at nighttime in gold <laughs> and silver. That's, that's never coming back again. You know what I mean? Yeah. My, um, my
2: hardcore team that I built for Pokemon Stadium was done in gold and silver because of the ability to have the proper breeding. And actually, no, breeding was introduced in this one, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, absolutely. So, like, um having all of those memories of training my entire team from eggs into what they were, and then even for, like, some of the cups that um, were available in Pokemon Stadium that you can do, I've never seen it in any other type of game that's similar to Pokemon where you can do stuff like that. Like, one of my favorite ones was the baby cup where you can only take uh, first-gen Pokemon up to level 5, and that's it. You couldn't do anything else with them, so you entirely had to focus on breeding. And the combinations that you were able to do that were not natural to level 5s was fantastic. It really made you rethink the entire game. And even though it's Pokemon Stadium that you're playing, that's only a fraction of it. You're doing all of the work in Gold and Silver. Right. Yeah, absolutely. so it was really amazing on how they can extend the gameplay of not just one game, but two at the same exact time. That is absolutely brilliant. I still Nintendo, please, please make Pokemon Stadium three, please. We all want it. We've been saying it for years and, you know, it'll sell. So maybe with the Pokemon Snap coming out, I'm hoping that uh, Stadium is
1: just around the corner.
0: Give us stadium, you cowards. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's such an
1: easy, easy no brain move.
2: Not to mention with all the esports that are available now, you put that on a streaming platform that's easily accessible to Twitch.
1: They're going to make so much money. It writes itself. Yeah. The Pokemon Company International has always been the worst at making Pokemon successful out of any other thing. Like the anyone (laughs) in the world is better at making Pokemon successful than Pokemon Company International when it comes with support of, I don't know, you know, side games, card games, card video games, uh, esports games. They're just dropping the ball left and right all the time.
0: Well, I know what we said for years is like, all we want is give us a Pokemon MMO But it's probably at like Game Freak behind glass, like a break in case of kind of situation of guys, we're going to have to file for bankruptcy, break the glass. We do the MMO. So I feel like this might be in a second smaller glass case next to that of just give them another stadium. Yep, there's a uh, Nintendo vault I like to joke about all the time, which
1: is just a room where Nintendo keeps all of the games that everybody wants, but they never put out. And they just grab from it when it's a break in case of glass situation. <laughs> but, like, everything's in there. You know, you got, you got, like, Melee HD in there. You got Stadium in there. Uh, you got new Mario Karts in there. You got new F-Zeros in there.
0: Star Fox games. They're all just ha- hanging out. They're just waiting. They're just waiting yeah. for a, a reason. But they're there. I mean, like you said, Nick, I feel like that would be a great event game to show off. Like, give us another stadium. Do that as an eSports thing. Just because, can you picture people showing up in, like, their Pokemon hats with, like, their trainers jackets and pokeballs and then facing off in stadium everyone always like
2: fantasizes Yu Oh to be that tv show in reality you see the you know what it looks like at actual comic shops and stuff when they play now can you imagine that actually becoming a real thing Oh yeah! Like with all the advent of technology, you can literally have that set up. That like, I summon my Charizard, and then the guy hits the button, and then in front of the entire audience, you see it actually play out in front of you. Oh, that'd be great. Like they could actually make Yu Gi Oh in real life using Pokemon, and I think that is such an amazing thing that could happen.
1: Yeah, and you could be a really cool kid too. Like at card shops, right? You could be the cool kid who brings the dual disc and plays only with the dual disc on. <laughs> but you know, you know, there's a limit, obviously. But yeah, no, it's just like. It's such a shoe and especially because at competitive Pokemon events now, they're still relegated to using the games and the systems for raising Pokemon in the games have gotten better over time. But they're not as robust as things like Pokemon Showdown, which everybody uses to train, practice and do most of their tournament play. People aren't spending like I don't know if, you know, Game Freak or Nintendo has this idea, but people aren't spending all of their time in Sword and Shield grinding out and, you know, (laughs) moving up the ladder. No, they're making Showdown teams and they're fighting against other people online. But Nintendo is just letting that money go away. And Pokemon Company International is letting that money go away because it's a fan endeavor and they're just not hitting that market. And it's always a choice that they're making. It's just always something to keep in mind with them.
2: Yeah, looks no, too bad.
0: So I think the your case on the Pokemon second gen, so like gold, silver, as you mentioned, like crystal, I think for me at least that also probably would end up making the the list, not because I necessarily love it that much more than like red and blue. But red and blue, it came out, we bought it, we fell in love with it. But it wasn't like we got hyped for red and blue, because we didn't even at the time, we didn't even know like it's upcoming, this thing's coming out. But once we found red and blue, we followed news, we knew gold and silver were coming out. I remember like waiting in class and I don't I think it was like second grade, third grade or something. Knowing that when I get home, we're going to have our gold and silver copies waiting for me and my brother, and it's oh man, that's what holds that bigger nostalgia is having that game that you're actually aware of and waiting for to release.
2: Oh no, I watched I watched the anime first, and oh, then well, when yeah. I discovered that it was a video game, that's when I was like, oh my god, I need to get this, and then it was a world changer for me because yeah. I played that nonstop for at least until like middle school
1: until now until then, literally today yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> like i still get hyped and it's that first gen story of just you know like pure city going all the way up to the elite four through viridian and all that and like that to me is still the best story I, like i played x and y i couldn't tell you a single thing about the story i don't remember anything about it and then i tried playing the hawaiian one i don't remember which one it is sun and moon. sun and moon yeah i, I I didn't even finish it. Like the story to me is so boring. Like it, they haven't changed the whole formula in so long that it works for them, but in this case, it also works against them because I feel the story is just the anime helped flesh it out that much more, and the anime is how I remember the story of the game in my head. Even though when you read, you know, when you actually play the game, it's nothing like that at all. Right, but right. still, like. You go through like all the badges and stuff and like that to me is so memorable and I love the setup for it that the sequel tried to play into it a little bit with gold and silver but it it just never hit those marks. The uh, yellow was cool but it still fell victim to the same engine that red and blue had and like crystal I'm sure would have like enhanced the story even more and it still had that awesome stuff. I never actually got to play crystal at that point that's when my interest started to wane.
0: Also, speaking of the earlier games, the later games, I know we started with like Team Rocket and then it ended up being like, was it the Team Magma and these other things that went on? At what point in the series did it go from the villains trying to like capture the Pokemon for like a kind of a, some sort of underground crime thing? to becoming, we need to capture Pokemon to cleanse the earth for a rebirth kind of situation. Like oh. when, when did that escalate? Three, actually. That That's yeah. Magma and Aqua.
1: So pretty much right away, you know, Team Rocket's out there doing their thing for two games. But then Magma and Aqua are like, yeah, we got to, you know, get rid of the ocean. We got to get rid of the land. Whatever, man. Yeah. And then Cyrus comes out in Gen 4 and he's like, no, we just, let's refre- let's reset the world. You know, humans yeah. are bad. We're let's parasites. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're parasites. And then in uh, five, we just just psycho killer, just crazy man. And then in six, yeah, you have Let's Cleanse Everybody, Hitler, Allegory, Lysander. And yeah, you know, and then then uh, you have seven where they're just goons and then eight where they're just <laughs> soccer fans. So it's, <laughs> just there's a hooliganism. There's a yeah, the logical next step. I think it's really cool, too. Like, thinking about Pokemon and the way you described it there, it's really important, too, because looking back at older RPGs, you know, so much of that is playing into imagination when we are kids. So much of that is, like you said, you know, we watch the anime. We experience those worlds in different ways than just in the video game. Because of that, when we were playing the video game, we were imagining something much grander than that. And that's something that a lot of people generally lose over time. And as games get more modern, you kind of don't have to do that as much. But I agree with you completely, where it's like playing... Gold and silver or red and blue for the first time, or even in the heights of Pokemania, we don't think about, like, the fact that we're looking at 8 bits on a screen. We think about the world. We think about walking through the forests of Viridian. You know, we think about all of that more so, and that uh, holds a different place in our minds and what we think we're looking at than uh, the actual game itself. Uh, And, you know, Pokemania too was just something that will never be replicated again. And in the U.S., I think you you guys are both East Coast, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. So in the U.S. in particular, Pokemania was always very interesting because it actually reflected a lot of what happened uh, to your example, actually, which was, you know, everybody's played it when it came out. A little bit afterwards, the Poke craze happened, red and blue. Everyone were playing, playing, playing. It goes to gold and silver and crystal, and then it peaks and drops. And that's when a lot of people jump off the bandwagon. Gen 3 starts, and Gen 3 does a really good job of keeping it going compared to what was supposed to be a fad at the time. And then, you know, Gen 4 happens, Gen 5, big drop. Gen 6, more people come back. Gen 7 doing pretty well. Gen 8 doing pretty well right now. So it's more of like that kind of wave cycle. But yeah, Gen 5 and Gen 3 uh, were big drop off points for a lot of people, Gen 5 in particular. So I, I completely understand why, you know, your uh, interest might have waned at that point. I went
2: back and I played it and I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. The only reason I stopped was I had a I was using an emulator because I didn't have a Game Boy Advance. And uh, the safe state that I was using Corrupted. And then it just got to the point where, like, I'm already, like, 60 hours in. And I know that's not a lot of time in a game like this, considering that's just, like, I got maybe, like, six badges in. And I just put a lot of time into developing my team. But I didn't really want to have to do all of that all over again. And I just, I never looked back at it. Yeah, But for it was so radically different. I think that's where the jumping off point was easier for me. Because... You know, you get to that point where, like, if you give me a Pokemon game right now that's completely... Like, if I start playing Sword and Shield, I can tell you the majority of my team is going to be from Gen 1. Mm -hmm. So, that is just my style. I understand there may be some guys that are better, but I feel like that's my calling card. I'm going to use Gen 1 guys and do my best to counter the newer stuff. I like that challenge. Ruby Sapphire, you didn't have access to that. They really pushed the newer content for you. Red and blue, they only added an extra 100 to that 150. So you still had 150 plus 100. It's not that much. Yeah, it's
0: just supplementary. When they,
2: yeah. When they did Ruby Sapphire, that's when they really pushed like, I don't remember how many they added for this gen, but it was enough that you can't rely on Onyx anymore. You need to find a different rock type. Yep. You really like your Charmander? Well, guess what? You don't have anything like that anymore for your fire starter. You're going to have to find something else. Maybe not Charmander, but like electric types. There's not that many that are um, that good. So like, all right, well, Magnemite's gone. Find something else. And I I appreciated that because it made me think like, all right, what is this thing in front of me? And it's forcing me to relearn the game all over again. And I just feel like it was not enough at the time that if it was developed, maybe if they try to do that with gold and silver, it might have had a better impact instead of just basically it's a straight sequel. Who knows? I mean, it's still strong. I mean, Pikachu is just as recognizable as Mario and Sonic at this point, if not maybe more so. So to say that Pokemon isn't popular anymore is a joke. I mean, it still is.
1: Yeah, it's uh, maybe not biggest media franchise in the world. uh, Bigger than Harry Potter by revenue. Bigger than Harry Potter. Bigger than Hello Kitty. Bigger than Star Wars. It's the biggest.
0: Where's our universal Pokemon world? Well, po- we
1: do have, the, <laughs> we have a uh, Super Nintendo land and we're just, I guess, waiting True. for
0: Pokemon. Let's see it. Ha ha. Anytime. I mean, instead of like the, the Harry Potter world, can you picture if they just built an actual Pokemon stadium there yeah. and that's the drive come to Pokemon world and you get to fight in real time with a uh, digital Pokemon. This is the harshest thing I'm going to say, but honestly,
1: we've gone over it again and again, but the history of modern Pokemon is a history of just missed
0: opportunities. That's, that's just the, yeah. the way to put it. That's going to be the Pokemon soundbite for the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, oh good. That is that that no that is
2: that is my uh, that is my third choice because I know we can talk Pokemon all day and it's it's still a you know it's a it's a classic and it's definitely a fan favorite because it's just it's never done me wrong. It's always been a, a, an awesome game to play. It's very well made and um, yeah, I mean. I'd be down.
1: Yeah, now I don't have to feel bad
0: because I'm not the one who had to bring it up. So, woo! (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like I was telling Sam on the fighting game episode. It's like I have certain games that I think somebody else might mention. Hmm. So if they do it, great. That just gives me a free time to talk about a game that I wanted anyway. So yeah, Pokemon uh, Gold and Silver. I think that's a great choice, Nick.
2: Do all the sound bites, though, for the original one. I don't want none of the Gold and Silver shit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So, for number three game, uh, this one is a PS2 turn based RPG. Came out in 2004 in Japan, later in 2004 in the US. It is a sequel called Shadow Hearts Covenant. So, I know. A lot of my games, I thought were, because growing up playing them, I thought like, oh, like nobody talks about this, or at least nobody around me talks about this. So I thought at least some of my games were deep cuts. And then as I'm doing some research to um, brush myself up, because I haven't played them in years, I realized that like all three of my games are on top 10 lists or like the top 20 lists of RPGs of the generation. And now <laughs> I feel like a schmuck bringing them up. But Shadow Hearts Covenant, this was developed by Nautilus. It uh, was published by, I think a ruse or um, in Japan, Midway Games in the US. Um, so Midway, that gives us another six degrees of separation back into Mortal Kombat to keep that streak alive. There you go. But the game follows shortly after Shadow Hearts One and the protagonist, uh, Yuri Hyuga, he ends up getting embroiled in this like occult secret society thing, uh, Sapientis Gladio during World War One. So, it's one of those games that I have no memory of how I found it or how I originally ended up playing it or how it ended up in my house growing up, but it's still been in my brain that every so often I'll remember, like, I wish they did a remake of that. I missed that game, but I still don't remember how it happened in the first place. So, it's a turn based RPG that used a cool combat system called the Judgment Ring. So, pretty much, it's like a clock hand that spins around in a circle. And then for each character, as you time hitting that clock hand, against the markings on that ring, you'll end up doing your either attacks or multiple attacks or critical attacks. Um, this way ends up adding a little bit of active participation into what would otherwise just be a a turn-based RPG. So it takes the turn-based strategic element and then adds a little bit of that kind of outside action to it of being able to control it. Kind of like when we were talking about um, a while back, like Super Mario RPG, Legend of the Seven Stars, having to time your hits to do bonus damage from there. So this way you're not just kind of hitting the button, letting it go. You get to keep an eye on it, kind of, um, you have to pay attention a little bit to it.
2: You know, to this day, I still do the timed button press in any (laughs) game that I play that has any kind of semblance to like, all right, I pick this attack and I hit, you know, A. And then the character does the attack. And then just as he's about to hit, I always, always hit A at the same exact time, with the same game. timing for yeah for Mario RPG. Because deep down, like the, like the Pokemon thing, one of the urban legends <laughs> is like, you throw the ball, it hits, and then you hold B and down yep. at the same time, and it's guaranteed to do it. Like, ever since, I always do that, and the RPG thing is exactly the same. Like, every time they swing that sword, hit A, the second you hit, you're going to get a crit. Oh, it didn't work? It's
0: because you didn't hit it yeah, right. clearly. Yeah. I would rather find out, like, just do it. If you end up seeing, like, oh, the damage went up, great, this game has this system. Right. If not, eh, I think it works for me. Yep, yep, yep. So I don't know if you guys follow this game, but the, so they had this thing, the main character was called a Harmonizer. So what that was is he's able to um, get different demons throughout the game that he fuses with to then transform into these different things that give them. Different stats, different abilities and whatnot, which for the time period, 2004, this was a bit after my getting into the DBZ craze. And then around the point where like they're doing fusion and whatnot, seeing that (laughs) and then seeing this and being like, I can fuse with monsters and then transform into a new thing. I mean, I was just jazzed on the idea of fusion. I remember when Dynasty Warriors 4 was announced, Yo! I was writing emails. I was writing emails to like um, Koei and Omega Force being like, <laughs> uh, I hope in the fourth one you guys add fusion because it's going to be the next big thing. <laughs> oh. Like player one, player two needs to be able to fuse together and just you have to both work in tandem to control like Lu Bu. Yeah, it's Zhao um, Yun and Cao Cao together. <laughs> yeah, I just want one super warrior. Um, so. Dynasty Warriors 10, you still have this chance. Oh, God. Do me right. (laughs) (laughs) But the idea of just being able to fuse with anything to form the new thing just was always cool, especially at this time. Plus, being able to fuse with a demon, then turn into another demon coming off of playing stuff like Devil May Cry was just, uh, it kept it going for me. You could feel Um, the moral panic in the background. (laughs) (laughs) This is everything they warned us about in the 80s. Our kids are fusing with demons. God. Damn you d d So <laughs> this was something that kind of stuck with me. I know they made a third game. Um, I forgot the the name of it, but it, it I think it did well. But it, overall, this is kind of the one that is remembered more for the, the cult favorite. Um, and I know they keep talking about things like bringing it back or kind of whatever the, the case may be. But I think right now, the only way you can do it is either get it on PS2 from back of the day, or you have to do an emulator. But I think the The ROMs, there's an issue with it that the when you're doing that judgment ring, it sometimes will cover the entire screen and you can't actually attack and they haven't worked out the bugs with it. So I guess it's not very emulatable, but it's that's one they should throw on the Switch because I'd play that again.
1: Yeah, I mean, you always have a good chance with the Switch. They port crazy things, crazy things onto that thing. The fact that I think I saw Ichi Software was releasing like Phantom Brave and a couple other things. (laughs) As like a compilation, I was like, w-
0: why? But okay, sure. <laughs> it's eventually going to turn into like the Steam store. Yeah, seriously. It's like I just have to sift through 10 billion things. But you know, at the end of the day, I guess I would rather just have all of those options and just be like, yeah, okay, so 9,000 these I won't play, but the other 1,000, like, yeah, I'm on board with that. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, definitely uh, Shadow Hearts Covenant. That's uh, one of the favorites. That's a, I like that. I feel like that's a deep cut, honestly. Well, like I said, like I thought, oh, these ones, uh, nobody, maybe it was just growing up. None of my friends liked any of these ones. But then I go and it's like, oh, top 10 RPGs of like the PS2 era. And this is like number two or number three. And I'm like, oh, well, where were all those people to talk to for all of my middle school days? Yeah,
1: that must be like, that must be like a PS2 specific list for sure. Because like whenever I look at top RPG lists, I've never seen that once. That's why I was like surprised. I was like, oh, wow, that's that's a deep one for sure. Um, I especially (laughs) assume, I mean, I assume that Persona 4 obviously is number one on the PS2 list, but (laughs) I'm joking. Never heard of it.
2: (laughs) When I think back, whenever I think of RPGs, traditionally, I think of Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. And I think that once PlayStation came out, that's when other game types got to shine. And I think that's where a lot of your friends diverged from that. Because once PS2 hit, I can't, I know there's like Final Fantasy X shook a lot of but like made a lot of waves when it came out. And um I think Fantasy Star Online was on there too. And that was one of the few what was that other one that was able to actually use the modem
1: that you can buy? Ooh, so actually, uh, with PS two that would be Final Fantasy Eleven, the MMO, you could use a modem on PS two to play online. Wow, that yeah. one's been around since PS two. Sure has. Oh wait, I'm thinking of um Fourteen. Fourteen, yes. Yep. There's two MMOs, eleven and fourteen.
2: Yeah, like at that time, I can really, I can't think of as many compared to like all of the action games and shooters that started to really come out at that point in time. I think that's probably just what ended up happening.
0: Which was probably a case of making use of the hardware you had at the time, which once you hit PS1, once you hit N64, now we're able to actually start doing this kind of more shootery thing because I can move in a 3D space and actually like aim and move around in like three dimensions, um, which is... I don't remember too much of that on the the Super Nintendo days, other than maybe like that one Jurassic Park game we talked about mm-hmm. a while back. But yeah, I think that that's a good point. It might just be a, a case of they drifted off to kind of these new genres or the more growing genres at the time. And then we kind of, even though there were still a lot of great RPGs coming out and we were still kind of in that great RPG period, everybody kind of started drifting to the new thing. So then you started having all kind of the The hardcore enthusiasts still sticking to the new stuff coming out. Yeah, like as a as an outsider, I want
2: to definitely put a disclaimer up saying that I am no means like saying this is this is why you may not have played them. But at least thinking back, I wasn't in that genre. I was in like there are a few exceptions that brought me in, but it never kept me around long enough to be on the lookout for the next big RPG to come out. So like. When Final Fantasy X came out, I had no interest in RPGs at that time, but everyone was talking about it. So then, of course, all right, Blockbuster Night, what are we renting tonight? I pick up Final Fantasy X and I understand why. This game is amazing. And I just can't think of that many other games around the PlayStation 2 era that would have brought me in that direction
1: again. It's actually really interesting from a history perspective, too, because you do have a point about uh, the Super Nintendo shift over to kind of PlayStation uh, where what actually happened and it did have a lot to do with the hardware, as you were saying, Uh, there was actually the Final Fantasy VII original build was being made for Super Nintendo because it was a Super Nintendo franchise and Square and Enix made RPGs for the Super Nintendo. But when uh, they decided to go to N64 and use cartridges instead of discs and PlayStation was using discs, and Sega Saturn was using discs, but more so PlayStation, Uh, Square and Enix and all the other RPG companies really wanted to up their game. They wanted to put FMVs in, they wanted to really take advantage of the ability to put more space on a disc, and that's why you have those like crazy four-disc games, is all of the RPG development started going towards Sony rather than Nintendo because of the hardware choice Nintendo made, and it actually stayed that way, I'd argue, right up until the Switch. I think that the PlayStation, the PlayStation 2 and the PlayStation 3, PSP and Vita are all RPG consoles when compared to their contemporary. And now we're only at the point to say, like, yeah, honestly, I think the Switch is more of an RPG console, maybe, than the PS4. But it's like it's starting to rebalance itself for sure because of the Switch's portability and RPGs and things like that seem to like portability for some reason, especially where you can save whenever you want. Uh, But, yeah, no, it's starting to come back but for a very long time. PlayStation was the RPG company or the RPG console you want to get if you want to play those games. I have a love-hate
2: relationship with uh, Nintendo because mm-hmm. I do respect them quite a bit, but there are a couple of times where I just don't understand. I I get it, but I don't understand on the conscious decision of do we make money or do we stay as a family system? Yeah, always. And it, the fact that they would often like the Wii is a massively successful console but I think it's the worst piece of trash they made in the last, like, 20 years. Because when you look at the game archive that came out, no one wanted to develop on it. It's absolute junk. The the library, like, I worked at GameStop at during the time of the Wii's peak Ooh, bless and you. <laughs> the transition. And it was just, like, like, I can't list the amount of trash games that... And then I'm not saying like, like the, the Barbie game that we talked about, like that was just one of like 50 other trash titles that they would constantly release. And then all the big AAA stuff too, like, well, the Wii is underperforms and it can't keep up with the other consoles. So we have to dummy down and we literally have to make a second game to put on the system. And I just, I don't understand it for them to finally get it. And I actually appreciate on how, like I noticed a lot of switch titles are just steam ports I think that's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant, and I, fi- I think they finally get it. And because of um, Camp saying that, like you know, they're they're finally like getting back into that game. I think they finally figured out on how they can get their foothold back and get that RPG setting. Because if they can bring back that title, they can they pretty much will own the street.
1: Yeah, and it's also too like especially with the Wii. There's kind of this weird dual situation going on, and you can see the progression happen. And what you're saying is 100% correct, because with the Wii, it was appealing to a more casual audience. Because of that, it sold like 100 million units. It was a ridiculous success. It blew the PS3 and the Xbox 360 out of the water in terms of sales uh, worldwide, right? But what you did see mm-hmm. was that after the first couple of years, people stopped using the Wii. People stopped buying new games for the Wii. So the attach rate was high for Mario Kart. And very, you know, a few games here and there. But nobody was buying like 30 games for the Wii at the time. And it also, you know, the, the PS3 and the Xbox 360 were the only relevant consoles for a good few years. But because the console had already sold so much, all the third party companies were making everything for it. Like you said, they were making new games just to port, you know, old versions of FIFA, and new versions of FIFA that they had to design just for that hardware that was twice as weak. Right. And then the Wii U came what? along, was also underpowered for the time didn't have that success, and so nobody supported it. Nobody supported it at all because the third parties was were so like, mad yeah, we don't need to. And uh, now that it's Switch... Like
2: the Wii U, the Wii U had so much room for potential. Oh, totally. And, and I understand now that in a... in, a, in a, like in the, in my head, like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, <laughs> this is the boring movie in between the two big action ones, just so you can set up the next one. Because I see so much room for where the Switch came from with the Wii U. Because when that Wii U came out, like, wow, you have a handheld screen. In addition to it being a console system on my TV that I can interact with both. That makes so much sense. This is perfect. And then, like, within within six months, not even a year, within six months, you
1: immediately knew, like, no one's going to develop for this thing. This sucks. And it was really rough, too, because, like, I, I don't have a gripe per se, but I definitely have like a shakes fist at entire uh, gaming audience uh, with the Wii U because I was somebody who bought the Wii U and I played almost every exclusive on it. And so it it always it doesn't irk me. I'm glad people are playing the games, but every time a game comes to Switch and everyone's like, look at all the great games Switch has. I'm like, you're right, but you could have played it on the Wii U, though. <laughs> it was there, <laughs> right? So I always go it's into that. Port. It's a port, right? But... uh. The Switch now is at the capability where it, it, it didn't catch up per se, but they're pulling as much power as they can because the Switch is so successful. They're porting absolutely everything to it. Like you said, they're pulling from Steam catalogs. And actually, I'm happy to kind of break the news here, but it seems like per a Bloomberg report, we're actually right about the DLSS thing. And they are going to be putting this technology from NVIDIA called DLSS into this upgraded version of the Switch, which means that ports of games are going to be even easier to do because you can render them into lower resolution and upscale them to the Switch. So this should theoretically allow, even for some PS5 and Xbox Series S or X ports, but very pared down at very lower resolutions. Uh, But it should be, it should at the very least help along the idea of the consoles being so gapped that you can't develop anything for the Switch if you want to. That should help that problem. So hopefully we have a good future in store there. I really hope that's the case. Because I mean, like... If you're, if you're a a graphics
2: nerd and like you won't play unless you have that constant 60 frames at 4K res, you're not buying a Switch. God, no. Yeah. You're not the, you're not the market for it. So you're the last person that I would be concerned about like, Oh, you're not getting the Switch. I look at it more as like just a world evolving sort of aspect. And that the more games you're able to put on a system like this to get more widespread, like gaming 20 years ago is nothing what it is today. Like, just how with how much the world has changed around. Like, I used to get made fun of for playing video games. Yeah. Like, and now it's like everyone has an Xbox or PlayStation in their living room. Even if they're not playing it, it's their main, like, media center or, like, Blu-ray player, that kind of thing. Yeah. And just being able to have more people playing and especially Switch games. I always like seeing that one guy, you know, in the corner of, like, at a convention and he's just, he's playing the Switch. Yeah, he's got it. You know, like, I, that... That amuses me and I enjoy seeing that because like even in this crowded arena,
1: there's always one guy still like, I got to play my games. I love that. I love seeing <laughs> He's gotta that. He's got to hustle. He's got to do the hustle. The other thing too is like, yeah, I mean, video games at this point, this happened a good few years ago, but video games surpassed movies, books, uh, it, things like that in terms of actual like revenue. So in terms of media form, it's one of the biggest media forms out there. You know, we're bigger than music now. We're bigger than books now. Video games are one of the primary uh, ways that people are getting their entertainment besides Netflix, obviously. So it's like, yeah, no, video games have become this whole huge thing. The culture changed so significantly. It's much more open now. And so all you can kind of do is somebody who is there in the beginning, I guess I would say not the beginning, but somebody who is there in those those rough days is kind of hope that everybody will also respect the uh, the old ways of doing things in the old games and not just think. Uh, with a, a one year in mind, or not just think forward, you know, but also think backwards about, well, where did we come from? Uh, what, are, what are successful about these games? The things that I like now in 2020, where did those
0: originate? That's all I hope at the very least. So I actually don't know where we started on this. Was this still Shadow Hearts Covenant? <laughs> this was Shadow Hearts Covenant. <laughs> okay, Shadow Hearts Covenant. <laughs> also, before we hop off at two things, when you mentioned Final Fantasy X, give us a Blitz Ball standalone game. Oh, do it.
1: I'll I would do play it.
0: that. Forget Madden. Give me Blitzball. There's been a push.
1: There's been a push in Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO, to add Blitzball in. That's been a
0: recent push. I'll I'll re-download it and go back to playing it <laughs> if they add in Blitzball. Yeah. The other thing as far as Sony RPGs moving over there because they're able to do the multiple discs, I missed that we never had a chance to have a game with multiple cartridges for the N64. <laughs> that would be you just something. Have this giant box that's like a six cartridge game Oh, with an expansion you know- pack. Donkey Kong 64
2: Um, when they ported Resident Evil 2 to the N64, that was one of the most like technological marvels of its time because they were able to fit full FMV videos in on a cartridge that was never done before. Yeah, because that technically is a two disc game. And even though, you know, it's not an RPG and it kind of like digresses a little bit, but just the fact that they were able to do that on the N64, that was a huge deal at
1: the time. Oh, yeah. Especially too, with like if you think about how Sega did it, which was really wild in particular, where it's like, wow, when Sega wanted to use FMV, they made the Sega CD, which was a disc system. And then after that, they made the 32X, which was a cartridge add-on. But there weren't FMV games on the 32X. They were on the Sega CD. You needed to have the Sega CD. So yeah, 100% it's like, That's crazy. It's like with all those stories of the past, right? Where it's just like this insane technical marvel because of limitations that uh, had to be pulled off, where we see quite the opposite these days, actually, where technical marvels do happen and and optimization does occur. But you'll also see, hey, the reason why games are 70 gigabytes is because they didn't compress their audio. That was just a choice they made. So it's one of those things, too, where it's like, yeah, the, the marvels they pulled off in the past
0: seem way more impressive than nowadays. Yeah, back then you had to start getting clever. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Shadow Hearts Covenant. Woo! Which <laughs> brings us to, Gam, Your number
1: two. All right. Oh, man, I'm, I'm always hard on this one. I sit, swear to God, I flip-flop week to week on which I put in two and one. Uh, but these are games that I've talked about ad nauseum before. So, you know what? For this time, for this time, I'm going to put Persona 4 Golden as my number two. for this
2: time. I always hear stuff for Persona. <laughs> that it must really be like I've never played it, ever. Yeah. Um, like there's one guy I watch on YouTube that does like video game covers on guitar, and Persona's like number one that he constantly puts out for stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I've never played it, but like the music is supposed to be like one of the best things about it, too.
1: Yeah, a lot of the music in Persona is, I mean it's a variety of artists, but uh, Shoji Meguro is one of them, as well as Lotus Juice who will rap over a lot of the, uh, the battle themes and stuff like that. But each uh, Persona game from three onwards kind of takes a different genre and runs with it. Uh, So three was a lot more not punk necessarily, but it was a lot more grungy, punky. Four is kind of like J-pop and a little poppy. And five is more kind of like jazz or like acid jazz almost. And so each Persona game in the modern iteration, and we say modern because Persona 1 and Persona 2, are great games, but like they don't really count anymore, unfortunately, and nobody really talks about them. So when we're talking about persona, we're talking about three on that's the that's the real the real hot take these days. but yeah, I just uh the reason I chose four uh, in particular is what it meant to me. So four golden was actually what made me get back into video games. Uh, there was a period of time when I graduated high school. so towards the end of high school, I was really I, I started kind of not leaving gaming, but I was really only playing Pokemon and like dota two and you know games here and there, some Skyrim here and there. I was only playing a few games. And uh, I kind of went off. I was focusing a lot more at the time on reporting. I was actually at my high school. We had a show like a TV show that would broadcast and I was doing political reporting for that morning show. So I was really into political journalism and stuff like that, focusing on that more. And then I started going to college and I had all this free time and I was looking into what I should buy. And this was around 2013, right? So the Wii U was out, uh, the PS4 and Xbox had just come out. And I was looking and I was like, what's a Vita? What's a what's a PlayStation Vita? That's crazy, huh? And so I just kind of picked it up, didn't really know what I was in for, grabbed that, and I was like, yeah, I'll play it in the library when I'm not doing homework at college, right? And I picked up a game called Persona 4 Golden because it was on the top list of games on there. And I started playing the game, and immediately I was like, wow, I didn't know video games could be this good. I'm crying. So that was the <laughs> game for me that kind of made me a video game lover and made me a game industry. Like what I do today is because of Persona 4 Golden, uh, because I just was not ready, I guess, for what a game could be and how non-traditional it could be. Cause this is what you're dealing with when you're playing persona 4 golden, right? It's not just like a, a standard RPG. It actually like in function does have like it's turnblaze gaze, turn based turn based gameplay and you capture demons almost like Pokemon and you can assign different abilities for them and there's fusion and all that and you're basically making your personas as powerful as possible to use them in battle but the thing that got me about persona was the story the characters the setting and just how unique that was we're not dealing with you know swords and magic here we're dealing with some kids in high school falling into a tv and trying to solve the scooby-doo murder mystery in uh, jojo bizarre adventure part four town (laughs) basically uh, so it's just such, such a unique setting and the music is, you can never forget the music from it. It's mostly vocal tracks, including the battle theme. Uh, they're all incredibly impressive. There's a reason why people cover them all the time. And you just get this really great journey about like, you know, teenagers and going on self-actualization journeys, I guess I would say, and kind of accepting themselves. And it's not, it's not like big, overdramatic, melodramatic type stuff. It's really modern. So you'll have people who their main concern for one of the characters, for example, Yosuke, his main concern concern in the day is like he really wants his senpai at the school his upperclassmen to like him and like he his dad runs a grocery store in town and he doesn't just want to take over the grocery store when he grows up And he's not sure if that's what he wants to do or like another girl yukiko who isn't sure if she wants to take over her family's hot spring another girl's somewhat insecure but also somewhat confident about the fact that she uh what's called really likes Kung Fu movies and martial arts and stuff like that. But those aren't traditionally feminine. There's a guy who's like really hardcore biker dude beats up a lot of people, but he also loves sewing and he's trying to reconcile that. And they're basically, (laughs) yeah, they're dealing with their inner demons and fighting them as monsters in a TV world while solving a case of serial murder murders in their town. And it's just such a crazy, unique setting and novel idea Uh, helped along by the fact that when I played it, the Vita had an OLED screen, which is a screen technology that makes the, uh, the blacks, especially deep, the new switch, the switch pro upgrades also likely to have this actually per leaks. And it just, it's very impressive. It's like whenever you walk into Best Buy and you'll see those big Samsung OLED or LG OLED TVs and they look so amazing. It was that, but an on portable screen. So it was just like, I was seeing so vibrant colors and I was hearing this amazing soundtrack and it just blew my mind uh, compared to what I thought video games were because I'd been out of it for so long. And I was just like, this is, this is amazing. And then from that point, I kind of went on a ravenous journey and that's where I am today, and it was all
0: because of Persona 4 Golden, so can't recommend that one anymore higher. It's It's been on my list for ages, and I know, I think during the last Steam Summer Sale, I finally picked it up, and I think I mentioned, I might have mentioned this to you a while back on, um, when I joined one of the streams, but the, I started playing it, started loving it, but the only issue was, because I enjoy it, I want to pay attention to the storyline. I, it's not a game that I can just like, I'll pick up for like two minutes. I'll play real quick and put down. It's like, this is something I want to dedicate time to. Yeah. And because my free time is getting less and less, it's, it's finding that time to sit down and plug away at an RPG, which I guess is kind of a, not a hindrance to the genre, but it's certainly something that's more difficult with the genre for me is RPGs. I can't just like, pick up a play a quick round of an RPG and then put it back down. It's like, no, I, I need to get into the story. I want to get interested in these characters. Cause I love I only I'm maybe like an hour and a half into Persona 4. Um, but it's trying to sit down and plug away at it, which I think is probably why on the Switch a lot of the popular or popularity is picking up for doing all of these RPGs and whatnot. Because if it's something that you need to be able to dedicate time, well, it's turn based. So it's not necessarily something that you need to actively be doing non-stop mm-hmm. if you're doing this mobile you take it with you i could be playing on a bus oh bus stop comes up i need to walk off the bus i don't need like i could just pause it yeah nothing else going on or just it's my turn i just don't select anything grab it and walk off and keep playing suspend um,
1: suspends everything that's not multiplayer you know it's yeah just, that just works but it's yeah. uh so it's I important think that's too. why it's been yeah it's important to, to realize as well, like uh, just talking about the time, right? As gamers are getting older, especially like the, the average age of gamers going up over time. And it's getting to the point now where it's in like the 28s, close to 30s. It might even be in the 30s already. And as that happens, obviously, people have responsibilities with families and jobs and things like that. And so as a genre, RPGs either have to realize and recognize the fact that, yeah, people can't sit down for eight hours at a time and play anymore. There's some people that can, younger people can, people in different circumstances can. But they can choose whether they want to kind of go for a more niche audience over time or maybe do something a little bit different. And that's why you'll see sometimes smaller RPGs come out uh, more recently where you'll see things that are like either you can save anywhere, either you can suspend anywhere or they're like 20 hours or stuff like that. Like any AAA game is a good example, while not traditional RPGs. You know, there's a reason why things like Last of Us, God of War, those are all 16 to 20 hour games when you just play the main story. There's a reason they're not 80 hour games. Because a lot of people feel like they don't have the time for that, and anything with that sort of time commitment required will not sell as well. And that's kind of a big thing. So RPGs do hold themselves back, but that exact aspect of it is also what a lot of people find value in, in particular.
0: Which I find kind of comforting to know that I would rather have an RPG be like 80 hours of content and no. Know- if I can only get to playing like sit down and bang out an hour a week on this thing, that this will last me the next like two years. Yeah. Cause I know at least it's out there and it's ready for me. I'm the one who needs to get the time. I would hate for them to be like, yeah, we're going to cut these down. This is going to be the new final fantasy. It's uh, 14 hours long or something yeah, like that. Yeah, And be like, well, that's great. But I mean, give me my, yeah, give I it want my 80 hours. Give it here. Give it now. <laughs> that, that's yeah. the thing, right? Because it's like,
1: I, I would be I would be insulted personally because I'm somebody who this is my primary genre. So it's like it's a dual edged sword because on one hand, it'd be like, man, if they were all 14 hours, think of how many I could beat. But on the other hand, it's also like the fact that they're 80 hours is like, all right, well, three come out in a month. I'm screwed, basically, (laughs) where it's like, "Ah, I want to play. This is my favorite genre. Well, I can't do it quickly. Need to practice that uh, Shadow Clone Jutsu. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's uh, that's what happened to me this month, actually, because Bravely uh, Strikers came out. So uh, Persona 5 Strikers came out, Bravely Default 2 came out, and Monster Hunter's out on Friday. Uh, this month, I had been grinding at Persona 5 Strikers and Bravely Default 2 so hard so I could beat both games. I think over the last 20 days, I've put in a combined 70 or 80 hours, and just so wow. I could beat the games in time for Monster Hunter to come out. So. When you do like RPGs and they come out fast and you want to play them, it's like, unless you want to have an enormous backlog, you got to really, really grind it. Yeah. But yeah, four is four. And and the other thing, too, is like just four versus others, because I know a lot of people four isn't their favorite. It's difference in opinion, basically a difference of what you're looking for. Uh, In particular, when I played four, I was coming off of kind of what I call a Gurren Logon phase, uh, which a phase is I never left, which was just like, yeah, humanity, fuck yeah, friendship and all that cool stuff. Believe in me. Believe in the Kamina who believes in you. Right, I'll try. And Persona 4 is the most uplifting message and the most tight-knit group of friends, whereas Persona 3 feels more like work associates, but they are friends. And Persona 5's group are friends, but it took until Royal and Strikers to really flesh out the like character and group events that were happening. Like, the original Persona 5 game didn't have many group hanging out together showing their best friends events, whereas like, most of Persona 4 is like, yeah, let's go hang out at the grocery store together and go get some shit at the food
0: bar. Like, it's, it's really just down to earth, and that's why I appreciated it so much. And now for 5 and Royal, is Royal just like a deluxe version or like the complete edition of 5, or...? Yeah, so Persona does this weird thing. Uh, there's a lot of spin-off games, too,
1: and almost everything's canon. But this has actually happened with Golden as well. So Royal is an enhanced version of 5 that adds new characters and new story, including new endgame. So the story is different at the end. This is the same thing with 4 Golden. The original Persona 4 didn't have a character and a like, post-game final dungeon. Uh, the character's name was Marie. Uh, she wasn't in the original game, but she's in Golden. Uh, she's integrated in the cast somewhat and uh, she has a whole new, new dungeon and true endgame tacked on, basically. So Royal's the same exact thing,
0: where it's an enhanced version, but it's kind of like the the more finished
1: product, basically.
0: Okay, yeah, because I, I was hearing about that, and I've been holding out until they eventually add it to, like, Switch or um, onto, like, Steam or something, so I can just play it there, because um, that's kind of what's holding me back from playing Strikers just yet until yeah, I get yeah. into it. But I didn't know if it was going to be a case of, oh, you need to play 5 before you play Royal, because it's the... No whatever like x2 kind of addition or whatever
1: the way to think um, about it always is the royals or the goldens are just the game plus more but you still have the game so you still have persona 5 plus more that being said uh, strikers and persona canon is really weird too so strikers was actually developed a lot of the spin-off games are canon and strikers was developed alongside royal so like royal doesn't like nothing in royal really affects what happens in strikers just all the original Persona 5 stuff affects what happens in Strikers, so.
0: So they're just like the Dynasty Warriors Extreme Legends yeah, uh, yeah. versions. Yeah, it's it's like that, actually. <laughs> so yeah, Persona 4 Golden. I'll definitely, uh, I have to finish playing that one as soon as I find some time, but I definitely dig that. Which brings us to, Nick, your number two. So, number two, my uh,
2: number two is not the traditional RPG. Well, at least it's not the turn-based one. Stop smirking. It's all that. No, I'm just interested in what this is. Me too. So, random pass generator, Star Wars Galaxies, release date, June 26, 2003. Oh, You know the heroes. You know the villains. But did
0: you know thousands are playing the revolutionary Star Wars Galaxies online game? Now you can join the action. Create your own character from one of ten species. Choose a profession. Take challenging missions and even advance to the level of Jedi. Join thousands online 24-7 in the exciting, easy-to-play Star Wars experience that changes based on the way you play. Where the movie's left off, your journey begins. Star Wars Galaxies Starter Kit. Rated T for Teen.
2: This game is one of the first MMOs to become a success. This was before World of Warcraft. And once World of Warcraft came out, that is partially the reason why it failed. And the whole history of galaxies has its own, like material I think that can warrant its own episode because the history behind this game is like it's extreme like I'm I wouldn't be surprised if like five ten years down the line I'll turn on the history channel and it's going to literally be an episode on this game <laughs> that's how like in depth and crazy the marketing decisions and um, final decisions for the development of the game like completely changed the entire field for this game to the point where like players left and it wasn't like oh i'm angry at this so like i'm going to boycott it no like people legit boycotted this game their numbers plummeted to the point where like stockholders and shit were like what's going on with this and they pretty much received a fatal wound and it never recovered but in the beginning they didn't know how to handle mmos technically and in the beginning it was a lot more rpg orientated so you're able to still level up you gain experience And the freedom with this game is one of the best things about it in that there are 32 different professions you can choose as your blank slate. And as long as you gained XP in a specific area, you're able to go into that field up to a certain point because you only allowed like so many different skill points. And then when you spend them to go into certain branches of your profession, that's how uh, it governs. Like you can't learn too much at the same time. So, if you wanted to be a part time bounty hunter that wanted to be a side like chef and have their own bed and breakfast, you could. Like, that's insane. I don't know any other games where you can do that. And the crafting had an actual, I don't know any other video game that had an actual legitimate economy. So, that, all right, you want to make any game like that, like, like Ark and all of that other stuff. It's like, all right, you want to make an axe. What do you need? You need wood and you need rock. Okay, so you get those materials. Galaxy had hex codes attached to each and every mineral type. So depending on the quality of the material you harvested from on that planet, it may never show back up again. So the different values assigned to that hex code will determine like this axe you make will be one of the best axes you'll ever see in the next 10 years. And you can actually market it that way. And then you can, in the same thing, so, like, everyone's armor was unique because depending on the materials used, it was a lot more than just actual skill with, like, all the bonuses toward, like, um, armor crafting and stuff you can do. So, like, I know this guy on this planet is really good at making swords that I need. Let me go to him and buy it. And every time your sword broke, that's it. It's done. It actually is fully broken. You have to go back to the weaponsmith to get another one. So that drives a real economy. And it also was such a short or not short, a smaller community where like World of Warcraft nowadays, all the servers are kind of thrown together. So when you're on a specific server in Galaxies, if you want a specific weapon, you know, like you need to go to that guy. And that's awesome to me because I don't know any other games that have that kind of like relationship and community that had that back in the day. One of the problems with the game back then is that if you've ever played like a Korean RPG before, they are extremely (laughs) grindy, extremely grindy. So to get up to max level, there weren't quests. There weren't any um, easy way of leveling your character. It's literally like. Go to the do- go to the hospital, get buffs from the doctor that's supplying them. Go to that planet that has all combat and just start killing stuff from now until the buff wears off. And then when you're done, come back to the other planet, get the buffs again and go back out there. You're going to keep doing that until you have a lot of money. So, I mean, it did suck, but, you know, at the time, that's, that's all you kind of had going for it. But for the amount of perks and awesome stuff that was involved with it, just even to this day, like I, World of Warcraft is really fun to me. I love it. Um, it is an honorable mention for me. If any of the other choices and the rest of my list are picked before I'm able to say them, that is going to be one of mine. But even then, like World of Warcraft, just there's nothing like that in WoW and in any other MMO that I've played. Because I played a lot of the early ones. Like, I remember playing Matrix
0: Online. Ooh. I played this. I miss Anarchy Online, uh, City of Heroes, City of Villains. Ooh. Yeah, like, it just, I've never experienced anything
2: like that outside of Galaxies, and I, I do miss that, and people have recreated the game, and I did play that for a little bit, like, a year or two ago, and it was really cool to relive that, and it's carbon copy remake, man, like, it's exactly how I remember it, it's governed by the people, they keep it as legit as possible, so there's not, like, you know, people flying around as Darth Vader and shit, and, like, there's Jedi everywhere, like, there is Jedi everywhere now, but that's just because people have had the time to just do it how they are supposed to back in the original jedi was a very specific way you have to unlock it and yeah just, like with um world of warcraft classic everyone is blowing through it now because while well, we've had like 15 plus years to figure out how to do all like the little stuff in that they've, they've mastered and
0: that they master routes
2: and yeah and the same thing with jedi like there's a specific way you're supposed to do that 15 20 years ago no one knew how to do that and those that figured it out there were a very small amount but now that the secret's out is going for it and when i was playing it, i know that's what people were doing like oh yeah i'm going for jedi i just got to do x y and z and then i'll be able to do that and
0: continue on
2: but even then the grind is just i don't have the time for that even today
0: yeah and now so back during uh galaxies so the the crafting and whatnot you mentioned you can set up your own shops correct I think when you brought me in briefly when they brought the game um, like the remake of the game that you can set up your own shops and then anything you put in the shop people can just visit it and purchase items that then end up going to you they had the player housing all of that stuff from there I think um, when you got jumped to light speed was when they first introduced your ships and things and the, the space exploration
3: get ready To jump to light speed.
2: Introducing a revolutionary new system of real-time space combat and exploration. Fly and fight in classic Star Wars Starfighters.
3: Customize and build your own Starship. Explore 10
0: huge new space sectors. And embark on over 100 new story-driven space missions.
2: Star Wars Galaxies Jump to Lightspeed Available Fall 2004 Yep, same thing goes to The shipwrights were able to make Like, that was um, The ground-based combat is Almost Turn-based Whereas the flight There's no way you can make a space simulator Turn-based, so that's entirely (laughs) Twitch-based So, you get your joystick. It's exactly like playing X-Men Alliance and like all of those other, um, like X-Men vs. TIE fighters. Same exact kind of combat system. Oh, that's cool. But yeah, it was, it was groundbreaking, man. Like it, it really sucks on how it evolved into or devolved into what it ended up becoming. But like, if you, you want to be like that, that shipwright, like, well, I suck at combat, so I make really good stuff. If I hire you, Tim, to go and get me the leather I need, I'll be able to pay you for it and then turn that leather into the armor that you'll eventually come back and buy from me. And it's like that kind of economy is what I was talking about and how it's amazing. Same thing with the ship parts. You know, you want to be an ace pilot, you pick up stuff that um, get dropped from the kills that you make. The shipwright is able to take two pieces and reverse engineer them both together to take the best stats from both of the identical parts and come out with one piece that has all the best of both. Almost like breeding.
0: Well, I think if we give it 10 or 20 years, we might finally get Star Citizen released, and that'll cover (laughs) everything that we wanted. Yeah, yeah, 10 or 20, maybe. We'll see, we'll see. You know, it's funny, too. My kids will love it someday.
1: (laughs) I think I had Star Wars Galaxy probably between 2004 and like 6 or so. I had a copy of it sitting on my shelf in front of me, and I never opened it ever.
2: The problem is it was a too high-end game.
1: It was a lot of people couldn't
2: play it. It was like, I I was a day one person. I couldn't play it. My computer was not good enough. Mm, It took me like two, three months to finally meet the minimum requirements to finally be able to play the thing, which sucks because I really wanted to be day one. And I technically was. I still have the collector's edition box, like practically mint. I have it in my display case and it still has all the stuff in it. And like, it was fucking cool. Yeah,
0: I think the most depressing thing growing up Um, gaming on PC, was before you had your own job, before you had a car, (laughs) convincing your parents to get a game. You get the game, and then you find out that your system doesn't meet the requirements on the family computer. And now you either have to just decide, well, I'll just keep this game until eventually we get a new computer, or you have to convince your parents to go to like CompUSA. And I don't know what a video card is, but we need one. Yeah. (laughs) No, it was... uh, I never ran into the you couldn't play it problem i think
1: i might have once but what i did was i went downstairs to my aunt's room because she had a slightly newer computer and it worked on that uh but i was a kid and i didn't do much pc gaming so i didn't recognize what frame rates were so i would just play everything at like 10 fps 15 fps wasn't a problem i got used to it i don't even think about it anymore but it was like yeah empire at war star wars empire War. we play that at like 10 fps no problem. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god I,
2: that brings me back to like our our good friend david he um he was my paladin tank during burning crusade of world of warcraft and his frame rate was so atrocious that like i looked at him playing and i'm like how the fuck are you playing because it's literally like three four frames per second yeah during certain boss fights <laughs> and his build was able to handle it because on my screen it's the full like 20 plus so i'm like all right you know a lot of stuff's going on but he's doing it He's completely like he's blocking. He's doing all the consecrate that he needs to throw down the bag and shit. Yeah, and it, but I'm looking at his screen and I'm just like, how
0: how am I still? How are you alive? <laughs> he can he can see between the frames. Yeah, I Many mean, it's, nowadays he can probably get away with just watching somebody else in the group Twitch streaming their game. That's a good and point. then he has to watch his character and just act based on that. <laughs> the true game streaming technology. The ultimate co-op. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, Galaxies is one I really wish that I had gotten into when it came out. But I know I didn't really get into the MMO scene until you introduced me into kind of a World of Warcraft back during Vanilla. But I know that was definitely one that it's a lot of things pull from now. So it's a shame that they don't pull from it entirely and just make it again.
2: Dude, I can't even recommend Galaxy to people anymore, knowing just how grindy that game is. It's a complete understatement. I'm like, you haven't played a game like this, that it's that grindy. Yeah. No, there's a lot it's
1: of ridiculous. games. There's a lot of games in RPGs in general. I think it's especially with RPGs where your general advice to everyone else is like, man, I love this. This is one of my
0: favorite games. Don't play it. Don't play it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Don't do it to yeah. yourself.
0: I mean, or there's games that are not grindy and then they release patches to make them grindy. Oh, yeah, that does uh, happen. If anybody has um, played Marvel's Avengers. Oh, very, uh, very exciting. Yeah. If anybody has played Marvel's Avengers, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a new one. right? <laughs> yeah, I still lament it. Like I bought it. I loved the coming into the beta. I was hyped on it because I love like the Avengers um, overall and like the comics and all of this. And I did enjoy the combat and I enjoyed the system, but the promise of like all the stuff that's going to be coming out. And I'm like, okay, so this is baseline, but maybe it's like Destiny, how Destiny kind of like didn't have a lot going on at first. And then I came back a couple years later and it was just popping. And this I'm like, it's I was done with it in like a weekend. yeah. And there hasn't been anything released since then in like September that's really worth coming back to. I played so, it for so review. The,
2: the, the intro had me. too. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I played it for review. I did the campaign and like
1: it seemed like they were taking ideas from Destiny, but without the actual gameplay chops to behind it. So one of my big things was how a lot of the actual like missions you would go on and the like, I forget what they're called, the excursions or whatever you'd go on were like protect the objective things. But then they would give you a character that was not a gun class and didn't have many long range abilities. So you were surrounded by people who were shooting at you, but you could only like throw one rock as Hulk. You'd have to leave the spot otherwise. Right. And it was kind of yeah. like, were you were you trying to make a shooter here? Like, what? What's going on? Did you just were like, yeah, destiny, that, that works but the gun people. And then they defend the point. Everyone loves it. It, uh, yeah, it had a history, too, because like the, the Marvel game as well was like they had ideas and they had content that was supposed to be coming out. But between development problems and also some real life events, uh, they just like the characters they had planned just got delayed and they never come out, which is now why our next two characters are
0: like Hawk, uh, Hawkeye and Hawkeye, who's a girl or something like that, or Hawkeye's daughter. Uh, yeah, because we got um Kate Bishop was the first DLC okay. character a couple, I think last month two months ago or something but it's just like Hawkeye's protege that takes on the title and joins like the young Avengers. But yeah, we have Hawkeye coming up and I think they just did the announcement for Black Panther but their the roadmap is like into late summer early yeah. fall. So I mean if we get Hawkeye next week we probably won't get our next DLC character until like I don't know five months from now. So, I mean, that's not really the rollout system that we need for, like, a games-as-a-service deal. Yeah. Especially when you don't really have enough content to last us that long. Um, it's already a market failure. Like, it's it's one of those things they're not going to be able to bring that back.
1: That's, that's yeah. too far gone, you know?
0: Like, at this point, I figure, like, I spent the money initially on it. I uninstalled it after I played it briefly. Uh, maybe I'll download it again in, like, a year's time. Maybe it's just, like, an investment. I'm just... <laughs> I'm long on uh, Marvel's Avengers. Yeah, yeah there you <laughs> we'll go. just see how that pays out. Holding it. Holding up the bag on
1: Marvel's <laughs> Avengers.
0: Yeah. So that's going to... What a way if to go. We actually did, if we actually did episode titles rather than just the name of the topic, <laughs> it would probably be bag holding on Marvel's Avengers. I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's Star Wars Galaxies. <laughs> that's cool. I like that economy system that you
1: described with like unique armor based on where you mine the material i've never heard of anything like that ever before that's such a cool idea yeah, yeah.
2: i i can't stress on how much like like the armor still looked the same i mean sure. That's sure. from a programming perspective but like you know the leather like depending on all the different stats because each piece of resource material had about like 15 20 different stats attached to it so depending on what like this type of aluminum if i put it into this wrench It'll do X, Y, Z to it. But if I put it into this armor, well, it's very conductive. So it's great working with this electronic wrench. But when it comes to this armor, you don't want it to be conductive. So the stats go like really weak. And it was was so cool. Yeah, that's
0: that's cool. So I think the the takeaway is somebody please steal from Star Wars Galaxies. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) These are two cool processes and ideas to have it just stuck on the trash heap of history. I won't be mad. Just take it yeah <laughs> we're we're just gonna leave uh, these ideas out on a table somewhere and turn around yeah <laughs> so number two another. Deep cut that, uh, is definitely not a deep cut. Legend of Dragoon.
2: Nigel, he cut my head off. Did you see that? He cut my head off.
1: What a wuss. Now playing on PlayStation, ready team for teams.
0: Okay, yeah, I hear a lot of people pull this one in for sure. So 1999 in Japan, uh, came out in the 2000s in the U.S. for the PlayStation 1, developed by the very cleverly named Japan Studio, mm-hmm. and published by Sony, so... They shut down recently, by
1: the way. Just, uh, just a quick oh, thing. Uh, Japan Studio, they're actually... I figured I'd throw it in here because it's actually, like, recent news. Uh, but Japan Studio is moving away from development. They're they're moving towards just keeping their, like, publishing and localization. Uh, but they're actually kind of shutting down and tapering down production right now.
0: Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah, yeah, it is.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, so Legend Dragoon follows our boy Dart, um, who, throughout the game, he's hunting this thing called the Black Monster that def- destroyed his village. And then while he's hunting the Black Monster, he ends up getting kind of tangled up in this... Uh, whole thing to stop a group that's trying to summon the god of destruction and my first experience with this game was in a an old store called toys r us uh in their game section an ancient where (laughs) back in the old world so uh they had in their electronic section where they had all the displays and the demos and you can watch the videos and try out some games and we didn't know what it was at first um, just because we kind of came in, it wasn't like, oh, Legend of Dragoon. It was just kind of on a screen. So it's just something to kill time while our parents are like letting us kick around. And I took a look and we played it and it had the battle system that, By at this point we had played RPGs. We knew RPGs, we enjoyed them. But then having the ability of when you're attacking to then have kind of this square box and another square that spins and rotates in and you have to time it and hit it when it lines up. Um, Again, like similar to what we mentioned with Shadow Hearts, of being able to time those hits to be a little more active in your participation of the combat uh, was kind of a, a cool thing for us to be able to see. And then finding out that on top of this, you're then able to link up with different Dragoon spirits and then transform kind of like Ronin Warrior style into these other kind of heightened dragon armors and things like that kind of blew our mind because uh, again it's it's a tale as old as time i like fusing with things yeah let that, me... <laughs> that's close to fusion i would say <laughs>
1: listen we all just want to go super saiyan at the end of the day i don't know what to tell yeah. you like we all just want to power up
0: <laughs> if it's not fusion it's fusion adjacent yeah I'll still take it just let me have it if you weren't practicing kaioken in your mirror you didn't live <laughs> <laughs> so the the main disappointing thing with this was at the time we checked this out at tours we fell in love with it It's for PlayStation 1. We were a Nintendo 64 family. We never had it. So we didn't have a PlayStation until we got into PS2 in late 2001. We ended up consuming all of kind of our starting games that we had gotten, like Zone of the Enders, Devil May Cry, Gundam Journey to (laughs) Jaburo. Jeez, those are good starting games. Sorry. (laughs) We were working through all this stuff. And then we got to the point where we realized, like, after like a year, like, Wait, this is backwards compatible. That means we have all the catalog of the stuff we missed on PS1. So my brother and I immediately went out to try to find Legend of Dragoon. And granted, it was like after the fact, but it was still just as good um, coming off of all the other games. I don't know if it was even better just for the fact that it was like this fine wine that's just been aging over the years because we haven't been able to get to it. But that's still going to be one that still sticks in my memory. And this was the one that I was talking about in the pre-show that I guess at one point, Bluepoint was tied to doing a remake of this. Um, And I don't know if it was they were actually tied or it was they had some cryptic messages that suggested a remake of Legend of Dragoon. But then more recently, I guess they ended up dropping it and saying, no, they have a different property that they're doing. Um, Because I think Bluepoint eventually ended up doing the PS5 Demon Souls, uh, the new one, yeah, I was actually thinking maybe that's
1: where the rumor came from because everybody was theorizing what the Blue Point remake was at the time because all we knew was they were making a PlayStation, a very well-known PlayStation game, a remake of it, and so everyone was theorizing what it could be. Some people thought Metal Gear Solid, I was one of them. <laughs> some people
0: thought Demon Souls. Some people probably thought that that could have been where the rumor came from. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, because I when I was doing my research to um, kind of brush up on it, I saw that pop up and i got excited i was like oh blue point is going to be doing it but then like one article down was like from a year later and it's like yeah blue point's not doing Legend of dragon <laughs> it's like ah, oh, well. uh, so i mean thrown on switch yeah throw everything on i switch. don't even need a remaster just give me yeah. the
1: original on switch right exactly i mean here's the thing right especially with the switch it's like bro it's a 720p screen if the game was like I mean, this was a PS1 game, so it might have been
0: 480. But I was like, if it's 480 anyway, it's not that bad. Just put it on. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Have did you guys have any experience or like heard of Legend of Dragoon going up? Or yeah, I. Uh, so funny enough, that's why I was surprised when you brought it up
1: because I was like, actually, a lot of people do. Is I know like five or six people who put that as one of their top games. I own it, but I never played it myself but i have you know seen it i've been adjacent to it for a very very long time but it's always been one of like the big ps1 jrpgs to play alongside like Gears, right alongside uh, all of those things so it's like yeah no that was that was one of the big ones for sure ps1 had an absolute lot of bangers so that was uh that was definitely in the realm there you know
0: So that brings us to the number one RPG on your list, Cam. What do you What do you think? What do you think? I think you might have an idea I, of what's about to happen to you. Is <laughs> did we talk about this one at some point? Possibly. I mean, I this talk, from the. <laughs> I talk about it whenever I get an opportunity to. Any Any um, second I
1: breathe is usually when I talk about it. So is
0: is this happen to be involved with the like the Legend of Heroes line or something? It could or? be. It could be. <laughs> All right, here it is, hitting it.
1: So, my number one on this list, RPGs, Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel.
3: All
1: right. Let me let me give you some lore here, because this has less to do with the singular game itself and more to do with the series and where the game fits into this. So Cold Steel was my first one. Cold Steel is the way I entered this series. But for people who don't know what's going on here, this requires explanation. So uh, there's this company called the Nihon Falcom Corporation. It was from 1984, I believe. 1984 is when they were uh, initialized in Japan. And since then, they've been making RPGs. They have never stopped making RPGs. They made arguably the first action RPG. They're credited as to basically making the first action RPG. And they've just been doing it on the sidelines ever since. And they have not made a bad game since like 2004. And it's an argument as to whether that game was even just mid or bad. Like it's like they maybe put out (laughs) something mediocre in 2004, kind of. That was like a side game. But everything since then has been basically golden. So a like uh, Nihon Bangers edition Oops All Bangers edition. Yeah, oops, all bangers edition. <laughs> uh, Nihon Falcom Corporation's known for the Legend of Heroes series right now and also the Yeast series. So if you've ever seen on Steam uh, Yeast Origins, uh, Yeast uh, Memories of Celseta, Oath in Felgana, they're two long running series that have existed since the eighties. And Legend of Heroes is a derivative of Dragon Slayer, which existed since then, right? But they've just been running for a very, very long time. And they're all great. Action RPG. Yeast is an action RPG. Banger soundtrack. Falcom, actually half of the company is called Falcom Sound Team JDK. And they're an orchestra. So half of the actual company is an orchestra. And they just make like 50 songs for every single game. And they almost do this like, almost like metal fusion. So it's like, especially the Yeast games, they're action games. And they have this kind of metal fusion sound about them. That's really high octane and fast. uh, Whereas the Trails games have more of like an not air instrument, but like a string instrument, like violins and stuff like that. But like they'll mix violins and rock. And be like, it's just big brain moves out here. Put violins and rock together, and it's the best thing ever made. So the thing behind the Trail series is, the best way to start this off and just explain it is uh, Trails in the Sky is a game that came out in 2004. And uh, there are nine games so far, or there's more in Japan right now. So there's Trails in the Sky 1, Trails in the Sky 2, Trails in the Sky 3, and it's second chapter and third chapter they're called. Then there's two untranslated games called uh, Trails from Zero and Trails from Ao or Azure. And then there's four Cold Steel games. All of them are the exact same storyline. The storyline started in 2004, one continuous storyline, and has gone up until the modern day, <laughs> and it's only halfway done. So the reason I put this on my list is I have never encountered a series with more world building and lore than this series. Forget Lord of the Rings. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> there's there's no more world, world building. Trails of Cold Steel is a game where you have to have an understanding of the political underpinnings and history of every nation in the game to begin to get what's going on and why things are happening. There is like 70 or 80 named characters who have full backstories that relate them to like every other character where it's like, oh, well, in this war, this person served under this person and this person's sister was actually married to this guy over here. And it's just like the most insanely fleshed out thing you could ever imagine. They basically gave a writer in 2004, they're like... You start writing, we'll catch up. <laughs> and, and he's just been doing it ever since. They've all been doing it ever since. So it really doesn't matter which one you pick. Uh, but I pick Cold Steel because that's where I started. And it's a good dropping in point for a lot of people, even though it's, what, six games in to the actual storyline, because it shifts to a different part of the continent. So uh, the whole trail series takes place in one half of a giant continent called Zamuria. And it deals like different arcs deal with different nations that are next to each other. So the first three games deal with uh, Liberal, which is a nation towards the south. Uh, The two untranslated games deal with this city called Crossbell, which is in between all of them and is basically an independent zone, but not a true country. And their independence is basically a huge part of those two games. And then Cold Steel, the four games take place in the Empire, which is like the stereotypical evil empire, more or less. But you're the protagonist's. And you're part of that empire for four games. So the perspective shifts and like the interplay between like the politics of all of it and the behind the scenes and world building is just absolutely absurd. Uh, beyond that, you have a great soundtrack. And uh, one of the coolest things, too, is the battle system where it's kind of a natural evolution of the turn based battle system where it is turn based, but it also is position based. So it's one of those systems where you can move. You're basically given a let's say like a circle. You're given a stage more or less. And it's not grid based or anything like that but you can like spend part of your actions to move on the uh, screen and you can move in like any direction, right? So you can make a circle if you wanted to, you can do whatever you want. And then abilities will have like potential AOEs or line attacks. So positioning is a very important part. Speed is very important because of turn order. And obviously you can delay turn order as another addition on top of that system. So a lot of games will deal with speed delaying enemies like Final Fantasy with stop and haste and stuff like that. This has that system layered in there as well. And then the subsystems of how to get abilities on people and how to customize them uh, gets even more aggressive from there. Also there's like 60 playable characters in the fourth cold steel game. So it's just like, just think of the the longest narrative Epic you possibly can with the deepest world building that frankly probably exists out there in video games. And uh, that's what you get with the trail
0: series. It's been running since 2004 for just this plot and it's not stopping anytime soon. And now for any of the trails games, is it so, as I mentioned, um, in the pre-show like yeah. i i just got three yeah which i need I need to go back and play the other two yeah you do um but so all all of them have the the same combat system like three had or uh they evolve so or at least some variation it's close.
1: yeah so it's just slight gradual evolution over time um but it starts with the basic idea of yeah you know we still have that position system back in trails in the sky we still have s crafts we still have crafts items magic attack the, the battle system works the same way they just add a bunch of layers with like the team attacks and uh different sub abilities and boosts and stuff like that like your team boosts that you can do in three and four that's another layered system mm-hmm. uh they also so cold steel actually took a note from persona's book and added social links which weren't in the series before so then you could like you know become better friends with the characters and get bonuses you can do like dating aspects potentially just like you can in persona So it's that sort of like dating sim, life sim on top of all of this, too. It's just like it's one of the greatest things I've ever played and uh, is one of the reasons why this list, especially for me, was all more modern games, because these are things where it's like, no, this didn't stand out to me when I was a kid. This stood out to me when I was like over 20 years old. You know what I mean? This stood out to me when I was an adult and impressed me this much even then. And I I love the series. Falcons, my favorite developer, I played almost like every modern game of theirs. And uh, thanks to this game for showing it to me, you know?
0: And now I know from playing around in three a bit, the, because the whole thing is he's the the teacher at the Academy now and the in-between combats when you're back at the school, it's a lot of going around, you're talking to students, you're doing kind of building bonds, things like that. That reminded me a lot of three houses, mm-hmm. which is that also an aspect from the other Trails games or is that exclusively in that because they're a, a teacher at the Academy?
1: Yeah, so they actually that is exclusively there. So in earlier Trails games, there are side quests where you're knowing characters better and you're operating as a team with multiple characters most of the time. But they particularly looked at the success of like Persona as a series and the idea that like especially with Fire Emblem Awakening, right, where it's like, okay, dating sims are becoming a thing and social links are definitely a thing people like in games now. So they took a look over there and they were like, we can do that. And they put it into Cold Steel. So it's really only in Cold Steel on. A one and two actually have the main character from three is a student at the academy during one and two. And then he's a teacher in three and four. And then basically the two untranslated games deal with a different protagonist. And then the three games in liberal that I mentioned before is an entirely different protagonist. But three and four, the special reason why you can't just go into three like I was warning you is uh, one and two are somewhat self-contained three and four Cold Steel three and four take characters and plot points from back in 2004. And from back in 2009, from those other two sub series and bring them all in and all those characters show up. So if you don't know who they are and what's going on and what their history is, you'll be just so lost. Uh, So this is a series where it's like, yeah, either get in through Cold Steel and then play the older games. Or another good way to do this is get in through Cold Steel and then watch recaps of the other games. But fair warning, there's so much lore that the recaps are also 15 hours. (laughs) So... It's it's something. Like it is an endeavor. You basically have to dedicate part of your life to becoming a fan of the Trail series. So uh
0: but but if that's what it takes, I've definitely gained from the experience, you know? Because I know I played the demo for three, instantly liked it, so that's why I ended up buying three, because I figured like over time I'll pick up whatever the, the story is, I'll start off from here, but now like I'm gonna go back and check it out. But for Trails of Cold Steel one and two, do you know where the easiest Kind of for anybody looking to get into those where that is. Is that also on Switch now or? Uh, So PC, just PC. Steam has, yeah, Steam
1: has most of them now. It took a lot of time, but Steam has every main Trails game except for, I think four is still coming out, but it has all the Trails in the Sky games. And well, I will say, all right, so there are two untranslated games that I've been mentioning smack dab in the middle. There are fan translations. It's the only way to play them. And you can't get those on Steam. But they're very important, so that that yeah. does suck. That's one big thing about it. They're also great. They're some of the best, like self-contained stories. Uh, one thing I do want to specify too with the series, and this is very important, when I talk about tr- the trail series, I talk about the world building's amazing, the soundtrack's amazing, Gillyan plays really fun, and all of that, and the lore's great. I'm not saying the story is great, and the reason <laughs> why I'm particular about that is because the story itself and the actual like minute-to-minute interactions are some of the most anime tropy things of all time and it's so fun like if you <laughs> like campy stuff it's so fun but like you'll get this thing happening where this legitimately happened to me actually in trails of cold steel 3 where you know the anime trope of like people are fighting and there'll be a dude on a mountaintop or a cliffside watching them like haha yes you're not Pick strong them? enough yeah and they'll say <laughs> oh, something cryptic right this in trails of cold steel 3 there was a fight happening and And then four to five different parties of people were watching on four to five different cliff sides. And it was cutting between all of them. There weren't enough cliffs. Two of them had to share a cliff. And I was just losing my mind because it's so campy. They also, like, all the characters will have ridiculous titles and they'll address themselves by it, too. So it'd be like, ah, yes, you are the severing chains. I've been looking to fight you. It's just like... The, so ashen the, yeah, the ashen chevalier yeah the ashen chevalier right everybody over the top
3: ashen chevalier the ashen knight
0: the famous ashen chevalier ashen awakener
2: isn't
1: she the golden Rakshasa?
0: the ashen chevalier
2: why even bother introducing yourself
1: we all know you're reen schwarzer the ashen
2: chevalier he's
1: super famous it's super campy but the depth like the depth in the world building is some the craziest I've ever seen. So that's why it's my absolute favorite. Love it, love it, love it. I actually like
2: that you um you specified too that it's not so much you know one of the greatest things ever, but it like what really shocked you as an adult.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was the big thing because it's like you know I I could have been here and I could have put like yeah I got you know S- superstar saga on here, I got thousand year door on here, I got Pokemon, but I was like ah I I wanted to put more modern things just because. It was like, here's what impressed me when I felt like I knew what I was doing in the industry as a whole, where it was like, yeah, that's that's something that felt very unique to me you know. which
0: I think is a major factor just for I know I've talked a lot in the past about is this actually one of my favorite games or is it just because it's had the longest time to kind of sit with me and mm. percolate over the years? But going into something like this, where you played it later on, where you've already had the experience of all these other games from the genre you can look at it and say like, well, if I already love this in comparison to everything else, then it's got to be good because I mean, like, I know my stuff.
1: (laughs) Right, right. It's more. It's also like, you know, when I was a kid, it was really easy to like things. Now it's a lot harder to like things. So if I'm liking it, it must be doing a good job. (laughs) (laughs) So much easier to not
0: like things. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So, yeah, I think definitely on your recommendation, I'm going to put a pin in Trails 3 and pick it up on steam just so i can kind of get some background on it i know actually i don't until i get more into the game series the thing that's losing me right now is the social aspect kind of like in three houses Mm -hmm. just because i don't really know the characters so the idea of going around and bonding with them right the thing that i like from the demo is the combat system so i want to just get back to doing the combat system but they keep throwing me into well before you do that Do an hour of this, and I'm like, well, I don't know any of these characters, so I don't really care to go talk to so and so. The Ashen Somalier over in the (laughs) that's him pool area. Yeah, that's the thing. It it
1: relies so much on the callbacks because they're like three and four are payoffs for plot points that have been occurring since the beginning. So it's like there are characters showing back up and stuff that you've been waiting, you haven't seen for ten years. There are locations that you haven't been to in 3D before. Last time you visited them, they were 2.5D. So that that payoff for a lot of people is a big part of it. But like the reality is, and and I wasn't joking when I kind of called it a life choice, is like 90 percent of people bounce off trails for various reasons. A lot of people will play it and they like they won't get like the campiness or something like that. And they'll bounce off right away. They'll think it's generic or bounce off right away. It's like you have to make a choice and decide within your soul that you're like, I'm going to spend like 500 hours doing all this and then I'll be caught up. And that's just a decision you have to make at some point. And if you
0: go for it, power to you. If you don't, I understand, man. <laughs> yeah, I think in terms of time allotment for it, soon as I already started Persona 4 on Steam, I'll finish that first. This way I'm ready for playing 5 when it drops on Switch. And then I'll just go back and I'll start in on Trails from yeah. there and then kind of work my way back again. But definitely, I mean, I... Right there, I probably dedicated like 600 hours of my life to this thing. So Absolutely, we'll, yeah. we'll see how that goes. Check back yeah. with me in a year.
1: Yeah, I'll check back with you in 10.
2: It reminds me of like some of those, like if you're an avid book reader, like, well, if you really like fantasy, you should check out this specific series. Now, the thing is, is that this series has like 15 to yeah. 20 books as just an intro. And then like just the series has this ridiculous amount of entries in it. Like This is going to be one of the best stories you'll have ever read but you have a huge investment ahead of you.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, a thing about the Trails series is if you look up a list of games with the longest or most amount of dialogue and games with the longest, like, script, uh, the Trails games are, like, seven of the top 20. <laughs> no, like, it no joke. to the point where it's like, man, I really hope this author passes away just so I can have some time <laughs> to catch up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, I think the top one is, like, a, a VN, a visual novel. Like, the top one's, like, a visual novel, and then there's, like, a couple more visual novels, And then it goes into Trails games, and there's just a lot of Trails games in that top 20. (laughs) They're crazy. Like, it's insane. And I love the company to death, because uh, one thing I decry all the time is, like, the trend of AAA games, right? And the trend of, like, these very uh, mass appeal kind of light-in-systems AAA games. And they're, you know, like a a God of War or anything like that, which I enjoyed, were a great game. I I don't think that was my game of that year, uh, but I did love it very, very much. Where it's like, yeah, OK, there are numbers attached to weapons, but it's not a terribly deep system because it has to be accessible. So all, while all that's happening for the last like 40 years at this point, Falcom's just been making these niche games and they're happy with their audience and their audience has been with them for every single release. And they just they just do and make what people want to have. They don't follow trends like the only really trend they followed was like putting in some of the social link systems but they don't follow trends and chase money they chase and retain an audience that respects their work and i appreciate that so much which is why they're they're absolutely my favorite developer
2: yeah you can tell which companies like to consider their product as a form of art
1: yeah and
2: then others that this is just a product that we need to get on the shelf immediately.
1: Yeah. I mean, like the CEO of the company right now used to play their games. His name's Kondo. And uh, he grew up playing Falcon games because it was so long ago. And he's just now the CEO of the company. And that's that that pipeline, when you go from a player to developer to CEO, is one of the best ones for making very unique and
0: high-quality games, I think. And he's almost caught up on trails now. He is. He's almost caught up on trails. <laughs> So yeah, I, I think I'll definitely give that one a, a shot from the beginning, and then this way I can actually get the full effect of yeah. three before I get into four um, when that one releases too for yeah. Switch. Yeah, I
1: played. I played. Uh, yeah, I played four. I was actually I had early access to four uh, with with the company, and so I played four. I had a release, and we did a did a whole review of that, and that was that was something else. Like it was definitely you, you're under review embargo when you're doing stuff like that, right? So it was definitely something where it's like, it's not as powerful because the game's been out in Japan. And that's the problem with the series is even if you catch up, you can never go wiki dive because there's already there are already two games ahead in Japan. So you'll you'll lose every time. (laughs) So I felt like I was a little bit ahead of everyone else because I was like, oh, I have secret knowledge, but the games have been out in Japan for two years. Whatever. They know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so that is... The number one game for Cam. Go check out the Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel. There you go. Which brings us to, Nicholas, your number one RPG. So this is not
2: my number one RPG. It's just, it's my number one rate per gallon of my list. It's just the last one that I made. (laughs) Okay. So this one will be Knights of the Old Republic 2. Ooh, wow, 2? Okay.
3: We have all but destroyed the Jedi Knights. The Old Republic is crippled. They can do nothing to stop us now. But there is one thing standing in our way. One last Jedi who has yet to choose his true role in the galaxy. If he joins us on the path to darkness, those who fight alongside him will follow. But if he takes the path of a Jedi, those who join him will feel the vengeance of the dark side. To the 2003 game of the year Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 the Sith Lords
0: it's a classic
2: so again it's the same thing like I originally like I like the original story better but the advancements of the game and the engine completely re-envision how I look back on the game and with everything that you're able to do in the sequel I love that much more. Compared to the original, despite how the setups for the characters in the first one I like better.
1: Now, can I ask really quick, did you play with the restored content mod, like on Steam, or was this like original play on Xbox disc? Original okay. play on Xbox. Got it. I have
2: not, I've tried replaying both, and I can't do it. Yep. Yeah. It's just, I, I. It even though there is replayability, I could... I played light. I can now play dark or I can try to do a mix of both. It, the game doesn't allow you to really experiment and try to do that crazy of a playthrough. So the story beats are still going to be the same. So regardless of like, I'm going to go into the kitchen and grab a cookie from the cookie jar, either I can do it with dignity or I can be an absolute brat while doing it. Yeah. I'm still going to have the same consequence done. And regardless of my mother's reaction, when I reach into that jar, I'm still going to like, the, the, whatever happens after that is still going to happen. So it's really not much of a new experience trying to replay it a second time, which is funny because it's like, we review movies that we've seen from our past yep. and I can easily do that. But when it comes to video games, some of them, especially story-driven RPGs like this, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Mass Effect was another honorable mention of mine. Yep, me too. And I almost said Mass Effect for this. And I was in the process of changing it, and I'm thinking, like, no, I haven't played Mass Effect in that long that I actually couldn't talk about it right now on this kind of, like, podium setup. And with Coder, I do remember more of the beats and everything else with it, but trying to replay Mass Effect, same exact thing. I'll get, like, 15, 20 minutes in and instant boredom. It's just I already know what's going to happen. Nothing else is going to change. I've already experienced everything, and I feel like I lived it. Mm-hmm. So it's literally me replaying a section of my life that's just like I don't really need to do this anymore because I already know what's gonna happen. So meh. I'm with you no, there. Thanks.
1: I'm actually. So a big thing about RPGs as a genre and it feels like you and I might be a little unique in this because I think a lot of people do. I also don't replay RPGs ever. I replay Pokemon. that's it. but like I would never think about playing most RPGs ever again because it's the same thing it's I've experienced the story, I've gotten the adventure. I feel like I'm more or less wasting time by doing it again where I could be experiencing something new. So I I completely understand that, yeah. And it's also a time investment because it's not
2: like, you know, I'm going to replay Call of Duty and I haven't played it in a long time and that I can easily do. Yeah. I don't mean the multiplayer, but like the single player story campaign. Like I can do that because it's a quick thing that I can knock out in like, you know, a couple of hours or I can do it over the course of a weekend and I'm done. This, it's like, no, I can start it today And then I could finish it two months from now. And depending on how often I played, I could have easily put in 40 plus hours. And that's a very generous Mm plus.
1: Yeah, KOTOR 2 also had um, a bit of a there was there was like issue with the development, too, where it's like KOTOR 2 couldn't reach its full potential. I think it shipped over a year earlier than it was supposed to. It was like they pushed it out the door way too early. And so like the ending, especially the dark side ending the game, like isn't actually finished. And so that's why like the restored content mod does exist is to try and get that stuff back into the game. But it's an unfortunate thing because like KOTOR is such an amazing series and KOTOR two is so cool, but it's like, we could have had, we could have had even more if we just waited a little bit longer, if they just waited a little bit longer, you know? It's too
2: bad. I'm hoping once um, Disney gets their shit together, they look at, I and I think they're trying to get to that point. Now we're like, all right, we're done with the movies for now. We have a good footing on, the content that we're going to be distributing out with the star Wars brand. Now that we finally established ourselves as the next star Wars brand, I think they're now focusing on the video game licensing and they, they kind of had a weird announcement trailer like a month or two ago and how they're bringing back LucasArts, but they're not, I forget how the, do you, what are, do you, you you saw that too, right? What, they,
1: what did they call it? So what it is basically is Lucasfilm Games. And EA previously had exclusivity license to make Star Wars games, which was the stupidest choice ever made by Disney. Uh, but they've now yep. opened it up. So Lucasfilm Games is going to be working with a bunch of other studios to make Star Wars stuff. So on a short list, I think we already know that Ubisoft might be working on something. Uh, we already know that EA is still working on some stuff. Uh, there's some smaller studios that are working on some stuff. So like a lot more Star Wars games are going to start coming out. Uh, Which is what we want, right? So, yeah,
2: and they've been screaming. People have been screaming for a proper Coder Three um, for years, and The Old Republic is a really good MMO that I think they hit their stride properly, Mm -hmm. and I think is a decent competitor to Warcraft. It may not ever hit those numbers, but all things considering, I never heard anyone complain about it. Everyone that played it thoroughly enjoyed it for what it was, and it's a pretty decent game. But it's still not three. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It like KOTOR are the Knights of the Old Republic or the Old Republic. It was a thing where it's like when it came out, it was one of those. It was actually like when it first came out in the wider gaming sphere, it was considered a big blunder. But then they quickly fixed it. And now it's a great game. And they put a lot of like, like you said, KOTOR like content is in the game now where they have like KOTOR stories in the game and KOTOR scenarios in the game. Almost like it feels like it's a pseudo three, but it's not the true three. And so it's yeah, it's that thing where it's like it's it's a great game. You'd have to get into the MMO to play it. And there is story there that's interesting and characters there that's interesting, especially with how they do the uh, different paths and different endings. And like some are better than others. Like you'll have I think it was like the uh, the Dark Jedi or one of the Sith storylines is amazing. But then one of the Jedi storylines is bad. And it's like depending on what class you choose, the story is different and it can be very high quality. But yeah, it's it's again, it's an MMO and you have to make that choice and it's not your standalone KOTOR game. So, yeah. oh, I forgot to mention, though, they are um, they're doing something with KOTOR because we got news uh, confirmation about it was either a remake or a completely new game in KOTOR that we did get confirmation about. So uh, something is happening. I just forget who's doing it and what exactly it was. I mean, realistically,
2: not a digress into a Star Wars conversation, but I'm always ready. For I that. feel <laughs> like the 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 whole Old Republic Section is so largely like you have a, a vast realm of possibility and they keep focusing on something that's been rewritten countless times. And like people already know what happens after Return of the Jedi. They decided to look, nope, nope, we're going to do our own thing. They set up the sequels, but they should have went in the past instead. And then when they released all the content for the High Republic, that's really cool. But they should have went a little further back because a hundred year, like what is it, like two, three hundred years yeah, is yeah. not the same compared to like going in the times of like this is way before Yoda and right. anyone else. They have free reign to do whatever the hell they want.
1: Right. Yoda is probably still like the Grand Master of the Order or something like that. So it's like, eh, we'll mm-hmm. see. We'll see. But I'm hopeful at the very least. I'd rather have that than anything to do with
0: the timeline where uh, the sequel trilogy takes place. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's coming soon to a mobile near you, the <laughs> remaster remake of Coder. Woo, it's on phones. Uh, this is like an iOS version or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would definitely check that out again if they ended up doing a remaster, if they ended up doing the the remake of it, because I agree, Nick, Like that was one of the ones that, I think you showed me that one because I saw you playing it and then I had gotten into it towards the, the beginning of my Star Wars game love, other than, like, Dark Forces. But the, I think the same studio that did that did Jade Empire? Mm-hmm. Bioware. On Xbox, the same exact play style and everything. And I remember having a blast with that one as well, which I wouldn't mind seeing that one again in some form or, or another, because I remember that being kind of a, an interesting thing, too.
1: Yeah, they, uh, I mean, it's Bioware. They did Mass Effect, they did Dragon yes. Age. Yeah, it's, they do their RPGs well. In the past,
0: (laughs) modern days. I was was trying to remember. I was going to say, in my head, it was either Obsidian or Bioware. And I'm like, I I remember Obsidian's name popping up somewhere, but I don't remember. uh, That's where. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. So, yeah. So, uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2. Which brings me to my number one game, which I don't know if you've you've already guessed it earlier, Cam. You just um, didn't know it was that because of my timeline. So when I was doing the research on all of these games to... I just plug in, as I was telling Cam in the pre-show, I plug in remake or remaster in the hopes of, oh man, I haven't played this game in years. I would love to go back, but I don't want to have to try to find like a PlayStation 1 or a PlayStation 2 And then this one I plugged in and they said, oh, yeah, we're doing a remaster of it. And I said, oh, that's amazing. Like when? And they're like, oh, 2021. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. When? And they're like, oh, May. And I was like, oh, so not only is this like my favorite RPG, they're doing a remaster for it. It's coming out this year and it's coming out in like four weeks or five weeks. So I have time to finish up the stuff I'm working on to sit down and play Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne.
1: I guessed it. (laughs) (laughs) Featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series. Let's go. Yeah.
0: So this one, like, so this came out in Japan in 2003 um, and then in the U.S. in 2004. It's part of the Shin Megami series. I didn't play any of the other ones in the the series. I think this is one of the like one-offs or they're not necessarily all yeah. following each other in terms of a cohesive storyline. Yeah, you can play most but, of them alone. <laughs> yeah, because this one was developed by Atlas, published by Atlas, and it was one of those games that I didn't have any background on. It wasn't like, oh, I was following things online. I didn't have any friends that recommended it. It was just, I was walking around the store one day and I saw it and I was like, oh, that kind of seems cool. And then I checked it and it's like, oh, featuring Dante from Devil May Cry. <laughs> and I was like, oh, then a thousand percent, I need I to buy yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, oh, wow, that actually got you. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. So I, I was so psyched to see that. And then just to confirm it today, when I went onto Steam in the Steam store, it's like, you might like, and it pops up the pre-order for Nocturne. I was <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I will. So the game follows our unnamed protagonist after the world gets flipped, turned upside down by this kind of uh, apocalypse hellscape scenario because of a cult is looking to have the world be reborn. So the the whole thing is you go around and you're in this weird, topsy-turvy world. You're finding different demons and things like that. You're, you've become a demi-fiend. So you connect with these Magitama that uh, grant you different powers and things. And then as you meet these different demons, you're battling them, and then you can talk to them and negotiate with them, either through bartering or answering some questions or kind of just working your way through diplomacy with them, and then they decide to join your party. So once they join your party, you can battle out with having them as part of your team. So the combat system is you have these uh, what's called press turns. So essentially, it's kind of like AP. So each character in your party ends up adding one to that press turn, So each turn you'll get like, say, four actions you can take. If you end up attacking somebody and score a critical hit or you attack somebody and they're weak against fire, so you hit them with a fire attack, that will end up using up only a partial press turn or it'll add to you as bonus for you. So if you play kind of strategically and you kind of plan these things out, you can add on additional turns for yourself so you can continue attacking or kind of do uh, a bit more than normal. So it kind of gives you a little bit Incentive to study up on what is this guy weak to? I need to have a team that can kind of run this gamut of these different options out here. It's very Pokemon in that aspect of like I need to cover all my bases. Now, if it's a case of somebody might be immune to fire or something like that, and you hit them with fire, it'll end up losing your press turns. So you end up pretty much getting penalized for playing incorrectly and kind of getting stopped that way. And then they'll get their attack and so on and so forth. So You may be wondering, you have all these demons. You've collected these demons. Now, what can you do with these demons? And if you've listened to my first two games, you can fuse these demons together. (laughs) (laughs) So you fuse these demons and you make a new, stronger demon. And that just, I mean, this was checking all my boxes on it. Let me ask you a question real quick, actually. Have you ever played the Legacy of Goku series? Oh, yes. Good. Okay. I just needed to check. I just needed to check. Oh, yeah, because the it was well, like see Goku one and two. I think that was on Game Boy Advance. Yeah. Boo's Fury um, was the third. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, th- those I I love, too. All right. Good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's being able to fuse them together and then you end up having them in your demon compendium. So this way you can kind of pay to summon the base forms again. Um, this way you don't necessarily have to, like, go out and try to get them another time. But I thought it was just kind of a cool combat system. It was cool in terms of being able to recruit these in kind of a unique way of bartering and answering questions and talking out things with them. And all of your demons in the party have these personalities and they have these conversations and things like that that make it kind of cool. So it's all of this from there. I know, as I mentioned, like the big draw for me originally was finding out in this game that Dante from Devil May Cry is in it. But once I start playing it, I realize that it's not like start new game. Welcome to the world. Hi, I'm Dante. Yeah. Dante joins party like you don't get him um, until I, I remember it being much later in the yeah, game or kind of later like a fair amount into the game. And it was a case of like you have to go through all this stuff to be able to get him to join your party and negotiate to get him on your side. And it was a blast once you actually get him and have him on there. But it wasn't a detriment. I know immediately I was kind of disappointed not being able to have him off the jump from there. But once you get into the actual game, once you kind of get into this world, it's kind of takes over from there and you don't care that you don't necessarily have Dante immediately at that point. So I will absolutely be playing this game when it gets re-released on the remaster because it looks gorgeous.
1: Yeah, I put it on my list, too, for uh, when I was doing the quarter two games for, for me this year, I was looking out and I was like, yeah, maybe, though. That could be a good yeah. pull. Also, for any listeners who don't know about this, because I think this is a fun little fact, uh, the full title of Persona 4 is uh, Shin Megami Tensei Persona 4. Uh, Persona as a series yeah. is a Shin Megami Tensei spin-off series, just like Devil Summoner and Devil Survivor and things like that. So that
0: all is basically the same overarching series. So you got to give respects to the OG. So I, also, speaking of the, the games that came with soundtracks, I remember buying this, and I think this was one of the ones that included in the CD of the soundtrack to the game when I played it. And it was, well, I mean, it comes with a CD, so I might as well listen to it. Yeah. So I would just be, like, on my computer doing something else, like playing, like, Diablo 2 and just having this in the background of things. That's so fitting. That's kinda, fitting. Yeah, so Nocturne. It's Nocturne. terrific. <laughs> Definitely check it out. And let, then you have to fight Matador, and everything's great and fine. I challenge <laughs>
1: you to a duel.
0: Yeah, like, I... I'm going to be remembering all of these different bosses that I played through against that <laughs> kind of made me bang my head against yeah. the wall. Yeah. But hopefully my raging nostalgia is going to overpower seeing this and being like, Oh God, not again. Yeah. Right. Or you'll get like a
1: repressed <laughs> memory situation where it'll hit you all at once. You'll be like, God, I remember. Oh no. <laughs> this reminds me of that, um, middle Gear solid Two bait and switch
2: <laughs> with solid snake in your, you, they marketed him as being the main protagonist of Metal Gear 2. Then you play, you do the tanker level, I'm like, all right, this is cool. Yep. And then the the big shell part starts and you're riding instead. And just like your disappointment with like, oh where's where's Dante? I'm supposed to be playing as Dante. They said yeah. I can play as Dante and
1: you gotta like <laughs> wait for it to earn it, but at least you get to do that. That uh that situation was funny too. I only found this out a couple years ago. But I was impressed by this. So apparently the, the Raiden switcheroo is actually foreshadowed in the Game Boy game Ghost Babel. So if you <laughs> really? beat Ghost Babel or Babel, it will foreshadow the fact that you're actually going to be playing as Raiden the next game. But like nobody did. So nobody knew. I had that game, too, and I never beat <laughs> yeah, yeah, Such I a think, Kojima move. Right. I think the ending dialogue of Ghost Babel is like,
0: are you ready, Raiden? Or something like that. <laughs> the ending dialogue is... You're going to be playing as Raiden in Metal, <laughs> Metal Gear Solid, Solid 2. 2
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the... I still remember when I was talking before about Zone of the Enders of getting the Metal Gear Solid 2 demo disc mm. in Zone of the Enders and then just playing that for probably longer than I actually played Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> just, I knew that demo in and out by the time I was done with it. Uh, missed those that days. First that was one of the
2: first showcases, too, of, like, showing off the PlayStation's power. Mm. Because at the time it's like we never had graphics like this where like if I knock over this little bin of ice cubes by watch, the ice cubes melt yeah. like that's that was not in video games before at that time. So it was not
1: only just like a normal demo but it was a tech demo too and it was so awesome to play. yep if you leave Kojima alone, he will like individually render each blade of grass. you have to stop him from doing that. like you have to actively <laughs> be there to stop Kojima from doing those things. Uh, which is which is why what happened with Metal Gear Solid 5 happened is they're they're like people were trying to restrain Kojima because he needed to be restrained. But it also like there was some conflict about that because he was he was doing some like he just wanted to do some crazy stuff. And it's like, yeah, this is the guy, by the way, Kojima originally, if I remember correctly, I think it was police knots. He wanted the disc of police knots when it was spinning in your computer and heated up. He wanted to smell like human blood. He wanted to uh, print the discs so that they smelled like human
0: blood when they got hot. So that people, when they were playing police knots, thought, yeah, it, it's he's that guy. I mean, if I leave Kojima alone, will he finally give me Silent Hills? Probably. Can they bring that game back? If if there were no laws on this earth and you left him alone, he would
1: make PT and Silent Hills, I think. He's a
2: subject of a podcast I would want to be a guest part of. because I feel like after Phantom Pain, I had to, like a divorce with mm-hmm. him. And when Death Stranding came out, I just refused. I still haven't played it. I haven't looked into it. It's just I feel like this guy has put me through enough <laughs> over the years. We're like, you're not fooling me this time, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and then it came out and I'm like reading the reviews and I'm like, I fucking told you. Yeah. I knew it. Death Stranding something else. Death Stranding is an acquired yeah. taste. <laughs> and It, it is. A pure example of is this art or is this a product to buy? And he tried to pitch it as art. And like what he tried to do was really impressive, I guess. I have no grounds of like review because I I legitimately I've never even Mm. held the game in my hand. Never held the controller while it was active in the background. I've never seen any YouTube videos on it. I know only of just the screenshots and reviews of just the things that came out when the game did. But... From everything that I know of how people view the game as it is now, like, I don't want to play a FedEx simulator. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. And the whole weird thing with the babies and stuff, like, he has a, an immensely great artistic vision. Some things I can debate on, like, do you really need to do this? But he is, like, I don't want to say the George Lucas of, like, video <laughs> gaming, but he did do a lot of oh yeah experimental stuff that was, like, amazing and really clever.
1: Yeah,
0: he's crazy. <laughs> Kim, you might know this. Who's the other um, creator that's like similar to Kojima that's wacky? Was it Pseudo 51? Well, there's a bunch and we call them like the
1: lineup of auteurs, basically. So there's Pseudo 51. There's Yoko Taro over at Square Enix who does like Nier and stuff like that. Uh, there's Negoshi technically with Yakuza. There's like five or six Japanese devs who all have like unique styles and are crazy
0: and are absolutely crazy people. I want to see Sudo 51 and Kojima make something together, because I feel like Sudo would kind of, that very off-the-wall, I don't know, like, metal craziness would fit his crazy. Ooh, I'm trying they to did, think. um
2: did Gnome Heroes, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, Suda did that. I'm I'm thinking, too, that,
1: I'm I wonder if they, I think they would clash. I think they would clash, because Sudo, when he makes games, he puts things in that don't make any sense because they're cool, and Kojima does the opposite where he's like, I'm going to put in things that are v- supposed to be very deep and very, like, philosophical. <laughs> that are uncool. That are uncool or seem <laughs> stupid at first glance. But actually, it's it's like one of those. I feel like they'd actually, like, clash pretty hard. But That's my true. favorite is Yoko Taro of them, I think. Because Yoko Taro is the most checked out in real life of all time. Uh, he's the guy who does Nier. So he did Nier Automata, he did Nier Replicant, and all of that. And uh, he just wears a giant mask of one of his characters all the time. And it's just this giant moon head that he wears on like all interviews and stuff like that. And like he's an employee at Square Enix and you'll like interview him and he'll start rolling around on the floor and shit. And like or like say like fuck Square Enix to the camera at the interview. Or like the big one was uh, 2B when Nier Automata came out. Uh, 2B was like the android character with the big butt that everyone was like making art of and stuff like that. And he was like please send all of your hentai to me please send all of your <laughs> hentai art of 2b directly to me i want it
0: <laughs> i mean is it the case of he just knows if you're really good at your job yeah it doesn't matter what you i mean it's like john oliver and last week tonight yeah. just donking on at&t and hbo max because it's like what are you gonna do yeah he's,
1: he's yoko ataro you can't do anything to him
0: yeah so <laughs> he, he's a, he's a fun boy he's a fun boy that not only wraps up uh nocturne there but i think that is the the last of our list So, coming into honorable mentions, was there anything that you guys had that haven't been honorably mentioned?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely got a few, and since they're honorable mentions, we'll go quick at them. Uh, And I'll actually ask your opinion on this one, because when you were mentioning all of the time-based battles, I was surprised I
0: didn't hear any Paper Mario, but are you a fan? Now, Paper Mario left a bad taste in my mouth, because I think it's a good game, but because I... The reason why um, Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars like isn't on the list is because I've already brought it up on a different list previously, but like that Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy Seven, like, but Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars was huge to me, mm-hmm. and then I always wanted a sequel, and then I remember they started pushing it that like, hey, you like the Mario RPG? We're giving you another Mario RPG. Like, It's going to be great. If you loved that one, you'll love this one. And then they announced it and released it, and it was Paper Mario, and I was like, yeah, I mean, it's an RPG with Mario, but I would definitely not say it's the sequel to Legend of the Seven Stars. Okay. Um, it's definitely not the aesthetic I was going for, even though the the style and whatnot was cool. Um, so I think it just always kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I was set up for a true sequel to one of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of pulled the rug out from under me with that. What about um, Superstar Saga? Same sort of thing or actually that I did enjoy. I did okay, like cool, Superstar cool. Saga.
1: Yeah, I was just checking. But yeah, no. So I have a couple of those on there. Uh Give a shout out to I had a few just shout outs to general, like really important games that were more modern, I thought, in the same sort of vein that I've enjoyed the hell out of Uh Final Fantasy 14. I think it's honestly one of the best Final Fantasy story wise. It's very impressive what they did in like MMOs and stories are always very hard to execute because you have to balance the fact that there's a ton of people out there and i think ff14 did an amazing job of telling a long form story where the main character actually really matters as part of that story and isn't just like an interloper is solving all the problems and uh, i think they did a really good job of that plus the gameplay in 14 is incredible it's like uh, while a lot of traditional mmos are kind of like a you know multiple many many people are fighting the boss and tanking and hitting their uh, notes and abilities as they need to uh, ff14 has that as well but it's also a big dance like every boss battle in ff14 feels like a dance Because there are so many abilities going out all the time that you have to avoid dodge and specific cones that it feels like you're spinning around the arena with everybody in like an almost like ballet as you're playing the game. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, I think that as another honorable mention, funny enough, Genshin Impact, uh, which just recently came out. I think it's a good example of a RPG, a gotcha game, a mobile game, an RPG that is like a monetized free to play game that actually does a good job of being an RPG before it's being some monetization scheme that's meant to steal all your money so i want to give it uh, props for that because it's free to play but you can get like 60 good hours of rpg out of it before you start putting money in uh, without having to deal with a lot of the stupid like timer-based systems or anything like that uh so that was a big one props to dark souls and demon souls for creating a whole genre you know gotta i gotta throw that out there yeah yeah, so just just stuff like that mostly. I had Mass
0: Effect 2 on here, but I didn't want to get more into Western RPGs. Like, we'll save that for another time, you know? Yeah, I figure at some point we definitely need to come back and do more talk on the RPGs in general just because there is so much out there that to just look at it and cast such a wide net you would end up losing out on some fun discussions. Because, like, I mean, I focus specifically on turn-based here, but, mm-hmm. I mean, there's stuff out there like, okay, so. We mentioned Pokemon, Diablo 2, Vampire Masquerade Bloodlines, Kingdom Hearts, Quest for Glory. Um, I know at least for turn-based, the two specific ones I had for honorable mentions for turn-based for myself was MS Saga for PS2. That Mm -hmm. was the the Gundam turn-based RPG. And also... I mean, turn-based to uh, an extent. Uh, Divinity Original Sin two. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it's it's so weird doing RPG as a whole would be difficult, right?
1: Because then it's like, yeah, you are comparing things like Pillars of Eternity and Divinity to like Nier Automata and like action games, and they it just it's just such a wide net. So yeah, I completely agree there. You know,
2: we're we're, we're currently playing Baldur's Gate mm. as our um like our like our like, we have other friends, too, that we don't really get to see much. So, like, once a week, we all just play, like, one game. And we played and finished Divinity, and now we're on Baldur's Gate. I honestly really miss Divinity so much. <laughs> and every time we play, I'm expecting
0: Divinity, and it's not. And I get real disappointed. <laughs> like, I'll be... I want to see when Baldur's Gate 3 is finally finished, seeing as it's still early access right now. But I know even once it's finished, there's going to be those differences between the two just because it follows more strictly to the DD system, which I personally prefer out of those. But I definitely can see because Divinity 2, it was more about what you can do specifically, seen as you're not restricted to an action and the bonus action per turn. It's based on AP, so you can do kind of go through and set up your own combos rather than having to rely on setting up combos with other people in the party which, I mean, that's some of the stuff when we're talking about breaking a game. Um, I know when we did our Divinity 2 playthrough earlier on in the year, when you and Dave would end up going through, and between the two of you, like, you would have, I don't know, like 17 attacks because you just keep finding the combos of resetting your AP and then doubling your AP and then resetting your own turn and all of that stuff from there. So it's then to go from that to Baldur's Gate 3 where it's like, oh, what can I do? I can attack. and then. I could drink a potion. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, it,
2: it is, it is growing on me, but I think a lot of my gripe at this point is just because, just because of how early access it is. Um, I think we just kind of jumped in on it a little too early, but God knows how long it'll take them to get to that point where we might feel like this is ready to be considered like close to end of early access instead of like,
0: I feel like we only just started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I know, so, um, because of the amount of, cl- they're adding in all of the classes from what I understand of the, uh, like DD 5th edition and whatnot. So we're still getting like Monk, we're still getting um, Barbarian, we're still getting everything, which will give it some replayability. So I would expect if we end up playing through what they have right now for early access and then they actually release the game. I definitely wouldn't mind going back through and giving another shot with another class because with a four-person system and like 12 classes out there, we can all switch classes completely and still not step on each other's toes. And still just for the fact that I can eldritch blast a spider off a cliff and insta-kill it is still fun in my book. So definitely worth playing. Yeah, I think
1: uh, one of the rough things about like dealing with the early access situation, and I know this happened to a friend of mine playing Baldur's Gate 3, uh, which was just like... It, it always just like harshes you out when you're playing the game and you're enjoying yourself and you're getting immersed. And then you run into a location that's like, hey, uh, we're not finished with this part of the game yet. Sorry, you can't explore here. And it's like, yeah, cinematic pending. Yeah, that's that's rough where it's like, you know, the games like that. I feel like you definitely do have to wait a while, uh, but it's always it's always real tough because you want to play. But then, you know, that like your save could get overwritten because it's early access yeah. And, you know, everything's not in the game yet. So will you really want to play it again after you beat it once like this? It's always a real tough decision to make when it comes to that stuff. it yeah. has been my only fear so far
2: is the more we're playing into it, we're starting to
1: see more and more
2: of those opportunities where we found this goblin camp. And there was like a couple people outside and I started talking to one of them. And there were like two, three instances where it said cinematic pen
3: <laughs> like Aww. shit.
2: You know, like, is this area even scripted out yet? Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that it's going to get to that point sooner rather than later. where like, we literally can't play this game anymore because there's nothing else to play. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I know it, it. the same with all early access games, especially when we started playing like Ark or The Forest, where it's an investment. Like I get in early on it, check it out just to see if it's something that kind of sates my curiosity. And then I'll come back a year from now. I know Ark, we kind of played through the the bumps until it kind of got to that point. But like the forest played for like an hour, liked it. I dig it. I'll come back to it once it's done. And then you kind of have that full game. I'm kind of bag holding on Temtem right now. Yeah. Um, just because I know like I played it for a couple hours. I really enjoy it. I know I want to not get burnt out on it. So I just decided I'll put it on hold once the game actually finishes and come out. I'm in no rush. I already bought it. I have it. And then I'll check it out at that point fully. So I'd like supporting the early access, but also at the same time, I don't necessarily want to see every game going that early access route of here's this uh, like arc of, Hey, we're early access for how long? I don't know, like four years yeah. like will eventually come out. Whatever. Yeah. Well, star citizen. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the thing. Well,
2: people were getting mad at arc because they're starting to release DLC. Like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. You're not done yet. Yeah. You What's can't this? be making new stuff. You got to finish this project first, then you can move on to the next
0: <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. I feel like it finally officially came out like a year and a half ago, and now they're working on the sequel. Right, right. Yeah, that's right, because there's that, like, we got shown that standalone arc game
1: or it was just arc two, and The Rock was playing a main character in some sort of story thing yeah. that we saw. That was that was something else. We still don't really know what that was, but yeah. Well, that, I mean,
2: Star Citizen is just as guilty. It's got a, literally an all-star cast for their squadron yeah.
1: um, spinoff. And they're nowhere near done. Is that a money laundering scheme?
0: Like actual, that might be a
1: real concern (laughs) at this point. It may be possible.
0: (laughs) It's like, here, you can buy a ship. It's $150. Yeah. Which I did buy my small fighter ship when we first got into Star Citizen, which that's the game that I really wish gets moved along because I've loved what I've been able to play, like setting up the actual, the flight sticks and whatnot, and my throttle and actually going around. It's a blast. I just wish they add more to it, which is coming out of a glacial pace.
1: I think they're trapped in hell forever, personally, because I think they've hit this really unfortunate place that can happen in development sometimes where technology continues developing, but you can't develop fast enough to keep up with technology. So you either have to continue to develop the game forever and never catch up, or you have to put a stop on it and put it out and it won't be impressive. Uh, So it's like, I think they're in that hell. Yeah, I think they're in that hell and there's no way to escape that hell. Like, it's one of those things where you take too long in a game and it can never live up to expectations,
0: so. Well, games that live up to expectations are all the ones we mentioned on our lists today. That's correct. (laughs) Uh, So, okay, gang, that wraps up another episode of Rule of Thirds, and we'd like to thank you for coming along for the ride and discussing role-playing games. As always, you can reach us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Screen Refresh, or shoot an email to ScreenRefresh at gmail.com let us know what your top three would be, or if you have any topics you want to hear us discuss. Cam, how can people reach you? Uh, You can find me personally on
1: Twitter at CamCollects. You can slide my DMs anytime, and you can check out the Into the Video Game podcast at intothevideogame.com or any other major podcast destination. We do games industry
0: news and analysis mainly, so you can find that every week. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, what podcasting services are you on? Oh, that's a good question. You were on <laughs> things such as
1: Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast Portal, Where Apple Podcasts, Pod Release, Podbean.
0: Ah, yeah, there we go. There you go. You wanted it. That's fair. <laughs> uh, any projects or any upcoming things you want to plug at all?
1: Uh, no, all I do is uh, right now I have a personal stream. Twitch.tv slash cam collects Thursday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we're playing a Nuzlocke of Pokemon Renegade Platinum, which is a difficulty hack. Uh, so Nuzlocke, if you've never heard of that before, basically you catch Pokemon and if they die, you can't use them anymore. So you can lose at Pokemon. So we're playing a difficulty hack and doing that. We're going to lose just a matter of time. So feel free to check that out too, but that's all I got. I always wanted to try that. They're so fun. Nuzlocke are so fun. It's all I do these days for Pokemon
0: over and over and over again. I think you would dig that, Nick, because you don't need the time dedication because it's like, hey, (laughs) if I die, I die and I'm done. And it's also that, um, like you go outside and if this
1: area is done for like Pitchy and Rattata... But in this case, it's like it can literally be anything. Yeah, so I randomized or some games are randomized. The one I'm playing right now isn't, but it's an overhaul hack. So all the Pokemon are placed differently. But if you randomize a game, yeah, that will happen where you'll go into grass. First root root one, you'll get a Tentacruel and you'll be like, I guess I'm using Tentacruel because the one of the other important rules of a Nuzlocke, a normal one is you have to catch the first Pokemon you encounter on every route, which is supposed to make you use Pokemon you've never really used before or things you don't know about
0: and get to appreciate them more. So it's a great way to revitalize playing the games. And as far as the the Twitch stream, I can definitely attest, like, go check it out. It is a chill environment. Just uh, watch some uh, maybe horrible stuff happen to some Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, it's bad, it's bad all <laughs> the time. <laughs> and Nick, anything you got going on you want to plug right now? I'm painting again. What are you painting? I bought that... Um star wars legion box set
2: but it's not the the core one it's the sequel to it it's the clone wars edition so it's still the same exact game but it's just republic and the droids instead of the empire and the rebellion my favorite part (laughs) yeah so like i figured like i like the galactic civil war so much better but in terms of like buying stuff for it, like the Empire has ridiculously huge stuff that can't be ported to a tabletop game. But the Republic does. Yeah. And so do the droids. Yep. And they have a whole TV show revolving around. <laughs> they so, sure do. You know, it's really cool to like, I have all the droids and I'm currently doing the droids now and I'm going to be uploading progress as um, I finish. Just there's, there's a lot of them. So I'm back to doing that. Yeah. Uh, army building of like all right everyone's getting a, a one coat of paint today and it's like 17 different figures and i just finished
0: coding one i have to do it again before i can even move on so
2: it'll take and, some time
0: but if people want to see that progress where do they go
2: oh is that what you're alluding to is this nick plug your plug your instagram it is at czar, czar Nicholas one that's what there that's a c-z-a-r-n-i-k-o-l-a-s and the number one
0: perfect Okay. So that is it from us. So for Nick, this is Tim. Have a great week. Thanks again, Cam, for coming on. Go check out Into the Video Game and catch us next on Screen Refresh, the first Monday of the month. Bye.
3: My title is special advisor. (laughs) Cute. Now cut the shit.